genre. Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Nick Jimenez. Today, we're beginning our mini-series on the Matrix franchise with the game-changing, iconic film that started it all, 1999's The Matrix. And we have a guest joining us to talk about allegorical philosophy, man versus machine, and guns. Lots of guns is Bat Minute and Hedwig Inch by Angry Inch podcaster Jonathan Parker. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. I can't promise to live up to that wonderful introduction, though. I mean, come on. (laughs) That was perfect. (laughs) Uh, You always do. You always do. You always (laughs) deliver. Um, That's what I tell them. John Finn delivers. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna use that as an official like thing on job applications. I'm gonna put it at the top. I'm gonna quote you. He delivers. <laughs> Scott Carell, founder of Golden Genre Productions. Hey, it's a unique thing to put on your um, on your application, isn't it? Has anyone ever put a quote? <laughs> That's true. That's a very good. That's a very good point. Um, that should be what the cover letter is when you have to make a cover letter. Is it's just quotes from people talking you up? That's genuine. I might actually do that, genuinely. (laughs) You've given me a great idea for the future. (laughs) Um, All right. So we are here to start a brand new miniseries. We're we're here at the beginning um, with with this uh, this film that changed kind of changed cinema forever in 1999 um, in in many ways. 1999 in general, huge year for movies, Um, huge year. Also the year of The Phantom Menace. Uh, along with, I mean, countless, countless things. Oh, yeah. It's... I think there's whole, like, podcasts about 1999. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and arguably, the coup de grace of the whole year is The Matrix, um, which, you know, opened in April of 1999 and just blew the doors off of everyone's faces, I think. <laughs> Uh, so I'm curious about uh, everyone's background with this movie. Jonathan, did you see this in theaters? I didn't. I um, I oh. waited for it to come out uh, on home release. So unfortunately, no, I didn't get to see it in the in the cinema. But as soon as I could buy it, I bought it. Immediately knew I would like it, and yeah, mm-hmm. I I fell for it straight away. It was instantly. I mean, to this day, it's probably one of my favorite movies. The sequels, obviously, are a little different but the first one oh my god oh my god it, it as you say it changed everything about what i liked as well as you know the wider film world they've never shot a movie the same since this action has been transformed yeah absolutely i mean and and generally speaking jonathan i mean you have you have a lot of aesthetics that you 
<laughs> work within. Yeah. Uh, your your you you your personality fits lots of vibes. Um, but the Matrix vibe, the like sort of like leather bondage thing, is definitely one of those things oh, that yeah. is like a part of your personality, part of your aesthetic, and especially um, at the time, because at the time. Mm-hmm. I was very much the uh, the quintessential uh, like new metal kid, <laughs> you know. Sure. So I I went and were we all? <laughs> I bought a replica coat like of uh, of Neo. I was like, oh, I want to look like yeah. Neo. I want the coat, and it, I had big boots and everything, you know. So oh, I yeah. never looked as cool as him. I wanted to. In my mind, I did. <laughs> did anyone? <laughs> when you look back no. at photos now, it's like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, I, I I think I think we were all kind of it, like that meme from uh, It's Always Sunny. Yeah, um, that that's was me. kind of what we all look like. <laughs> Nick, what what when did you first uh, watch The Matrix? And uh, I know that you're a big Wachowskis fan. So thank you. W- how did where did this? I consider you one of the one of the biggest fans that I know. Wow, of, thank of you. Them. Wow. Um, and and uh, so I'm very curious about when the first time was that you watched this initial Matrix film. Well, you know, it's interesting, Scott. You said, you said at the beginning uh, that you know this this changed cinema forever, and it's true, it did. But it's it's one of those pieces of art that have actually changed, or at least affected all of pop culture. Yes, it, including like John was saying, like fashion mm-hmm. and aesthetic and music. Oh, <laughs> and, the, the soundtrack! Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is up there with like Saturday Night Fever or. Like, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I can't think of I remember thinking a lot watching it this time, like, wow, what would it take for something like this to happen again? Mm-hmm. Like for one movie to really, you know, affect so much. Yeah. Um, I also did not see it in theaters. I uh, I was a child at the time, so I couldn't see it in theaters. Um, um, but I remember I vividly remember getting a hold of the Pearl Snap DVD. Remember that? Uh huh. Oh, yes. Back when they didn't know how to package DVDs, and they were like, I guess we do this, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. They were trying a bit of everything. Like, let's see what sticks. (laughs) So I remember watching this sometime in the 2000s, before Reloaded came out. Mm -hmm. But totally after, you know, like, I saw Shrek before The Matrix, probably. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so I knew of it. I knew it's like ripple effects. But I remember watching it at home on, like, it must have been a Friday, because the morning after, I had a soccer game. And it was the best... I've ever been at soccer because <laughs> you you could see through the lies. You knew I, was, it was I was like, I have no limitations. I can do anything. None of this is real anyway. None of it matters. So, so you shot thirty feet into the air and just kicked the ball. It went through the goal net. Yeah, but yeah, I remember getting really hyped on this and really loving it, despite already of you know seeing like you know the Trinity kick in like mm-hmm. every movie and tv show you know it still hit me like i was watching it in theaters for the first time yeah in my memory it's in every shrek movie um <laughs> yeah. it's i be, think right? it's just in one of them but I, in my memory it happens in all of them the, remember the cats problem, and dogs <laughs> the problem yeah. with that being in everything because it's been parodied so so much you yeah. forget how cool it looked at the time like when yeah. you first saw that i was like what the hell am i seeing oh my god yeah yeah, absolutely. Um, so for me, I was 13 going on 14 when this opened. Um, I remember the trailer for this movie. I didn't see it a lot on TV, 
But I saw the trailer a few times in theaters, and the trailer was just like, I don't know what this is. Like, <laughs> what is, what is the, what is any of this? Like, I don't know what I'm even looking at. Like, because it focused so much on like him touching the mirror and the mirror not being real and sort of like crawling up his hand and that whole thing. And I was like, and then just like a bunch of weird sci-fi like abstract shots, and then the Matrix, and it's like, okay, I don't know what this <laughs> is. So like. I had zero interest in this movie as a kid. Zero. But my dad would – he didn't like going to see movies by himself if he could help it. And so he would – once I got to a certain age, he would take me to see everything regardless of whether it was appropriate. He would just have me go and stand out on the hall. <laughs> um, you know, one of my earliest rated R memories is seeing From Dust Till Dawn in theaters. And then when he realized that the end of the movie was going to take place at a strip club, he just had me stand outside for the entire third act <laughs> of that movie. So I had no idea that it was about vampires um, until – because of the structure of that movie, you know. Well, you would have no reason to think that. Right, exactly. I was like, yeah, it's just like basically like a, a poor man's Quentin Tarantino movie, right? <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, he would take me to these R-rated movies. This is how I saw he would drag me to these movies I had zero interest in. And then I would end up loving them when I came out. This is how I saw Gross Point Blank, one of my favorite movies ever. Had zero interest, and he took me, and I was like, that movie was amazing. You know, and The Matrix was one of those movies. I was like, the Mirror movie? You want to go see the Mirror movie? Ugh. You know, because, like, it was just, like, it just didn't look like it was interesting to me. Um, and he dragged me to go see it, and obviously the movie, like, blew my 13-year-old face off. I mean, I just was like, this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. And I think I... Took, made him take me two more times because hey. you know it was rated R. Couldn't do it myself, despite the fact that like, why was this movie rated R? Let's be real. <laughs> like I watch it now and I'm like, what's rated R? Is it just because he gives them the finger? Like what's so <laughs> bad about this movie? Um, they don't but, want you to yeah. know, man. They're restricting <laughs> knowledge. <laughs> yeah. Um. So so uh. So he took me. Um. I you know bought the soundtrack I had I bought the poster I was all in on this movie and speaking of aesthetic I mean this is when between this and Blade ah yeah I just drifted right into my goth phase <laughs> and so I was wearing Jinko jeans yeah I I went to like an army surplus store and got combat boots that like went up to my knees I got the trench coat like all of it. Not a leather trench coat, but like, you know, a cloth trench. I can't afford a leather trench coat at 13, 14 years old. I can but, barely afford uh, one so, now. <laughs> yeah, right. Totally. So, um, you know, I was all in on that aesthetic. Dyed my hair black. I mean, the whole thing. And that was like my entire, like, the summer after eighth grade is when I was building up to that. And then my freshman year, I was like all in on goth culture and like, all of this. Um, That's just, amazing. I didn't know about any of this. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, all in. All in. Um, listen to, like, you know, Marilyn Manson and um, just all yeah. of that stuff. Are you me? And, What's going on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Um, Rage Against the Machine, uh, everything. And and listen to the soundtrack religiously. Um, and uh, And so, yeah, this was a big deal. And then when it came out on DVD, I got that clamshell case. It was the first DVD I ever owned. And... It was like I would alternate basically between that and Blade and just watch them over and over and over and over again. And that was like 
the entirety of like the year of like 1999 to 2000 for me was just like those two movies on a loop well Um, this one especially not not blade so much but this one it's part of a thing as well that i think we latched onto because i imagine you're the same as me here where there was like a trend to let's make nerds cool like now nerds are cool and hip and it's like yeah i'm a nerd that's great (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely um yeah, it was definitely a big Gen Z thing where it was like, actually, like, we did the whole internet thing. And so we're actually pretty cool and we're rich and yeah. we're, we're powerful. <laughs> so now we're going to rewrite that narrative, the whole Revenge of the Nerds narrative, and actually, like, be cool. That must be it, uh, because any other movie before this, well, well, I mean, there's a couple around this this time, but before this era, if you were, like, a computer hacker or programmer, you weren't cool. You weren't the hero. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's true. Yeah. It's such an empowering movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it really is up there with like Rocky or the Karate Kid where it yeah. just sends these kids off of like, oh, take on the world. And we yeah. did. <laughs> and we did. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is interesting, though, because, yeah, so it did all of these positive things for culture, relatively positive, from benign to positive, I should <laughs> say, for cult- culture, right? Um, and But then it also had a lot of negative things that that occurred through it or related to it or was like forced into like oh this is because of the matrix right columbine was the big thing immediately weeks after release columbine happens and everyone is blaming the matrix because they were wearing black trench coats so like oh that must be because of the matrix um which isn't even accurate because you know the whole trench coat thing didn't come out of the matrix it was like heavily popularized after the matrix but the trench coat thing had been happening for years before that i mean angel on buffy in 97 was wearing a black leather trench coat that was just a 90s thing right but the matrix was getting blamed for this thing um and and then you get you know the whole binary red pill blue pill thing which has been turned into like a whole other just completely separate from what the intention behind it was, you know, the uh, literally the opposite yeah, of what the intention was. Yeah, missing the point completely. Well, uh, is it missing yeah. the point or is it deliberately twisting the point? Mm. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so, um, you know, it is interesting that, like, this cultural touchstone, it wasn't just, you know, the the alt kids that were affected by it. It was kind of everybody. Oh, and the whole, oh, the world is a simulation. All of those people. All those... <laughs> All of those nutcases. Right? Prove they that just it's made not. A, yeah, yeah. They just made like a documentary about the people who feel this way. Um, there's that guy who was obsessed with the Matrix and killed his parents because he's like none of them are real. Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter. Um, that was a, a documentary that we watched via Sundance last year, Scott, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, it was uh, what was it? Oh man, I forgot what the name of it was. It just came out last year. It was from the um, director dir- or possibly directors of Room Two Thirty Seven. Right, the, the Shining documentary, yeah. Um, oh, I'm intrigued. And it's, it, it's interesting. It's definitely a really interesting watch, but it's super depressing. Um, and it's, you know, it's depressing to watch this movie and really to watch the two sequels as well afterward. Um, I think that Resurrections, as we'll get to it, is a lot about Lana sort of, like reckoning, reckoning with all of that, yeah. right, and her feelings on all of that. But I think the these movies, you're just there's a lot of 
like it, it, these movies are very bittersweet from a certain perspective because they got to make these amazing movies, but a they weren't themselves when they made them, which really sucks. And like you know, that's got to be hard um, to like have all of this success, but then also be dealing with the fact that like. I don't feel comfortable in my own body. Mm. That really, that really sucks, you know? Um, and then also everyone getting their words twisted and turning them into this other thing that they had no intention to do. So there's a lot of that going on, but, and we're going to talk about all of that, especially when we start getting into the breakdown. But in terms of the matrix getting made, the development of the matrix, you know, the Wachowskis, um, you know, they are siblings who grew up in the Chicago area and, uh, they both went to college, but then dropped out, uh, before graduating, both of them, uh, they got into sort of like, um, work in Chicago that was like, I think it was like painting and like, kind of like carpentry kind of stuff. Um, and they were doing that for a while, while writing. And then they ended up breaking into, um, the industry with a couple of things. One, they wrote, they got, they got to write some comics for, um, Clive Barker started like a Marvel comics sort of, um, what do you call that? Like a, like a, like a sub publisher, um, in Marvel comics that like they did, like he did like a bunch of like, um, sort of like bondagey horror stuff. And they wrote one of those books for a while. I'm so happy that Clive Barker has something to do with the founding of the Wachowskis. Yeah. Right. It makes sense. It really does. I'm surprised Um, Marvel would get him on board though. You could imagine some companies, but well, my God. Yeah. Well, I think that they were, he was really popular at the time. Yeah, he was really popular, and you know, I think that I assume I think this was <laughs> this was coming. This was at a point where the only thing that was working for them was Spider-Man and X-Men, and everything else was failing. Uh. And so, I think they were throwing a lot of things at the wall because they had all this surplus of money from the sales of the Spider-Man and X-Men comics, but nothing else was selling. So they were like, "Well, let's just try everything," you know. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, so that was one of the things, and then they wrote, um, they wrote a script about cannibals about uh about about cannibals who like ate rich people um and it got them a lot of attention uh and basically every studio they were like yeah we want to make this and they're like no i'm rich you're not making a movie about eating me this is a great script but we're not we're not making this um and they're like oh okay cool so eventually they wrote a spec script called assassins um which they sold to Warner Brothers Pictures um it was later turned into a film that was um made by Richard Donner starring Sylvester Stallone and Antonio Banderas um they uh, when Richard Donner came on board he had another writer completely page 1 rewrite their script um and they were so furious and disgusted by this that they wanted their name taken off of it and they were sued by warner brothers and were not allowed to take their name off of it um and so i thought you could just like you had to if, if you asked like yeah we've got to take it off no 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 it's very strange in that way i think it's because there was like an arbitration thing with the WGA and the writer who took over kept their story enough oh. that he wouldn't have gotten credit as a screenwriter on their script because the story was basically the same. Um, and then it's kind of similar, I guess, what happened with Joss Whedon on the Avengers mm. where Zach Penn's bear, like kind of has a credit 
um, but is like kind of buried as like a story and credit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still like his script in a lot of ways, uh, st- structurally, I guess. Um, but yeah, so he wasn't going to get credit for it at all. And they were like, well, we want our name off of it. And the WGA was like, you can't. We did arbitration and you're the writers of the script as far as we're concerned. <laughs> so that really annoyed them and made them realize like, okay, we have to direct because no one is going to make our scripts the way that we want them to make them. Obviously, if we can't even count on Richard Donner to like (laughs) make a script the way that we wrote it. So uh, they write this script called the matrix and they bring it into Warner brothers and Joel silver um, and some of the other executives are like, this is, I don't two things. This rules. Number one, number two, I don't know what this is. (laughs) Uh, number two, I just know that it's great. Um, and and so they're like, okay, uh, I mean, you know, it's great. I like it's going to be awesome. They explain the whole thing and really like answer all their questions. And they're like, wow, okay, so you really do know this script backwards and forwards. This is awesome. Let's find a director to do it. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. We want to direct it. And they're like, this is like a $60, 70000000 million movie. You're not going to direct that as your first feature. Like, no. Um, and so while the Wachowskis are, are figuring out that side of things, the studio is trying to find a director that they will approve of, um, which they end up never finding, uh, obviously. But um, mostly because no one knows what the hell what to make of the script um, or how to bring it to life except for the Wachowskis. And so, uh, so they're like, okay – they're not going to let us direct this because we've never directed anything before. So let's try and direct something um, and prove that we can direct and be directors and be filmmakers. And then maybe we can go back in there and be like, okay, now will you let us direct the yeah, matrix? Good plan. So um, they uh, make, they write this movie called bound um, and uh, get it uh, greenlit with a $6 million budget. And you know, it is, not a hit. It only makes $7 million, but it, it becomes this sort of like, this was like the nineties when they made a lot of these like sexy thrillers, you know, like (laughs) your single white female and your indecent proposal, um, and all of that stuff. And this was sort of being advertised as like part of that oeuvre. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and the thing that impressed everybody that saw it was how well directed it was considering it was only a $6 million movie. It rules. Um, yeah, it has like two sets basically, um, and it's like more visually interesting than movies with like ten times that budget. Um, and so, it was very, very impressive for everyone who saw it. And when they brought it to Warner Brothers, they were like, "Okay, you can direct the Matrix then," um, which was uh, pretty cool. Uh, and so, and so. One of the things that made Bound work was that they um, they built a relationship with cinematographer Bill Pope, who uh, would go on to do The Matrix with them. And Bill Pope was basically like, when they presented what they wanted to do with Bound to all these cinematographers, everyone was like, uh, no, you can't do that. Not for that budget. That's insane. No. And then Bill Pope was like, yeah, I'll figure it out. And so he got the job because he was like, yeah, I'll figure it out. I'll figure out how to do it for that budget. Um, And then they kept him around for the Matrix because they were like, we want you to take that philosophy and then turn that to a $60 million movie because you're going to need it. 
um, <laughs> because we're gonna we're gonna make a sixty million dollar movie feel like a two hundred million dollar movie. I hope he had the um, same reaction. Like, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I think he was a little more stressed out. Uh, he was co- trying to convince them to make like a twenty million dollar movie before moving on to the Matrix, and the Wachowskis just wouldn't do it. Um, and it's good thing that they didn't because there's an argument to be made. Like, yeah, they probably should have right. Like. <laughs> If you hadn't, if you don't look at the Matrix, if you don't realize how amazing the Matrix turned out, right? And you're just like, they're going from a $6 million movie to a $60 million movie. That's a huge jump. They should probably do like a somewhere in between that. Oh, yeah, it's ridiculous. But if, (laughs) yeah, oh, it's absolutely ridiculous. But if they had waited, the Matrix would have been nothing, it would have been outdated already by the time they got to it. It came out at exactly the right time that it was supposed to. A leap of faith. yeah, so thank God they did not listen to Bill Pope in this particular um, instance. And, uh, and yeah, so they, they get the movie made. During this time, while making Bound, they hired um, a few uh, uh, comic artists to basically draw the entire movie because one of the things that they were sick of doing to, with the executives was re-explaining how things were going to look and feel and what the story was. And so they had uh, these people like Jeff Darrow, who was like a, uh, an incredible comic artist, just like the most insanely detailed comic artist maybe ever. And, uh, and he comes on board and designs the Matrix with them. And uh, he and a bunch of other comic artists just draw the whole thing so that they can pitch the whole movie. And um, The Matrix largely is responsible for what these things become called animatics, where an entire movie is basically directed before you get to set. Um, And that's as a way of like making the studio relax a little where it's like oh we've seen the movie already so we know that it's going to be good just go shoot what you showed us and we'll have a great movie the matrix basically invented that and it was by necessity because no one understood what they were trying to do until they drew it can you get these uh crazy um pictures that have been drawn these comic art things can you can you get hold of them uh, there's a lot of them in the Matrix Revisited, the uh, the documentary, the feature length mm. documentary that came out. Um, it's it's a special feature on like every edition of the Matrix now, but originally it was released as its own DVD in between the Matrix and the Matrix Reloaded. Uh-huh. Um, but that's a, it's like that's, a that's amazing to hear. I mean, I didn't know. I mean, you know, it's hard to imagine the MCU without yeah. the use of these animatics that they can make years in advance. Right. to kind of build, you know, st- build the rest of the carnival around. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because they come from comics, you know, the Wachowskis. They love comics. They love anime. And so, you know, they were aware of the process of making an animated film. They were aware of the process of making comics. And this sort of, like, pre animatic thing had been around forever in animation, it had just never been used in the context of live action mm. until um, uh, right. until The Matrix. And uh, as live action filmmaking becomes more digital, like the Marvel movies, right? You know, you can basically animate an entire chunk of the movie before the actors ever need to set foot on a stage. Absolutely, that's Absolutely. so strange, isn't it? That's like a fascinating way of of doing it. But yeah, I suppose that's probably what they do half the time now. Like, here's ninety percent of the movie for you to uh, insert actors here. <laughs> well the big example that i remember not to get too far off is like but kind of full circle is the person that is in charge of or the director of marvel's what if Mm -hmm. um 
came up through the company designing like he designed the whole Thanos endgame battle in oh. animatics. Oh. Wow. Because they're like, well, these an- these action sequences are basically animated. Let's uh, let's let him direct this animated series that we're doing. Yeah. So it's this weird like full circle thing. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. What a cool idea of like how to pull someone into an animated series uh, when you're doing like, you know, something that's basically based on live action. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's like a, that's really cool. Um, yeah. So so the casting of this is interesting. Uh, you know, they went out to, you know, famously they went out to um, Will Smith uh for neo and he didn't understand it despite the fact that i believe his girlfriend at the time jada pinkett uh was like oh my god you have to do this i want to be in this so bad (laughs) audition for trinity didn't end up getting it um but was like obsessed with the idea of this movie for a long time eventually gets cast in reloaded and revolutions and resurrections um so becomes a big part of the of the matrix story right all because she was like you idiot why would you turn (laughs) down this movie this movie's gonna be amazing um and instead will smith goes and does wild wild west which he would regret for the rest of his life (laughs) I uh, I bought Will Smith's book for uh, for some Christmas gift cards, so I'll, I'm hoping to find out some more about that. that oh, stuff. nice! Let let um, us all know. Yeah. I'm fascinated by that because I maybe it's just in retrospect, but I couldn't see Will Smith pulling this off. Not that he's a bad actor no. or anything. I think he's great, but for this part, right. it would be very different. Uh, yeah, I mean that's the thing, right? Is you know, I think The Matrix it's one of those accidentally perfect movies in a lot of ways because specifically in its casting, like everything else it seems like they had very well thought out all the way through, but then when it gets to the casting there's a lot of weird choices that they right. wanted or the studio wanted and then eventually like someone like Keanu Reeves was like I guess that's fine. <laughs> and it's like sure. Yeah, which is insane in retrospect, because can you picture anyone else ever playing Neo? Well, I, I, I agree with John. You know, I think the biggest difference between Will Smith and Keanu Reeves, at least in this movie, is like Will Smith has genetically engineered himself to be likable yeah. and and normal. And yeah. Keanu Reeves has just been incapable of not being Keanu. Right. And, and, I, and I love so, that about him. Yeah. <laughs> and that's such a big part of why Neo works in this movie. Yes. Yeah, people absolutely. always make fun of his acting, like, oh, you know, he's he's very, um, he's like a robot or something. He barely emotes. Yeah, okay, sometimes that doesn't work. Here, that works. That's perfect because yeah. the character's mm-hmm. meant to know like something isn't right here, and he's meant to be a bit weird. I mean, he's a computer yeah. hacker at the end of the day. Of course, he's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think I think Keanu, like, especially in this era of Keanu, this sort of like mid '90s post speed era of Keanu. I think he was like trying to downplay his emotions because every time that he didn't, he came off like people would just call him Ted, like oh he's being Ted yeah, again, yeah. right? And and so you have things like speed which rules and he mm-hmm. rules in it, but a lot of people are like oh it's just like Ted pretending to be John McClane, you know? Um which and again, it sounds and, awesome. <laughs> that does yeah, sound no, good. I mean, it sounds <laughs> It sounds phenomenal, um, and it is. Speed rules. Uh, if you haven't watched it recently, uh, I, I, I highly recommend checking it out. Um, but, you know, it, and so, like, I think he was downplaying his emotion because he didn't want to be called Ted forever, you know? Um, and And so you get to a movie like this, and, like, this is just accidentally 
exactly what he needed where it's like oh okay i can be on um uh, like i can have no emotions or very few emotions and it it fits the movie it suits the movie and that's what you see going forward every time that he has something that really like breaks through it's because his style of acting just fits it perfectly yeah and then other times he's just kind of miscast um but uh, but yeah. So uh, in addition to uh, Will Smith, uh, they offered it to Nicolas Cage, <laughs> who turned down the part for family obligations. Um, you can see the version of this movie with Nicolas Cage. I think. I think you can. You can see it, um, especially late '90s Nicolas Cage. I think you can definitely see again it. very different. Um, but yeah, I, I yeah, I was quite a fan of him around that era as well. So uh, yeah. I probably would have been excited yeah. for that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right? Um, and then you have, uh, you've got, uh, let's see, Warner Brothers wanted Brad Pitt or Val Kilmer for the role. Um, I think both of which are way too old yeah. for the part. I think you you could see Brad Pitt working, but it, I think it would have been very similar to, like, basically what we had in Fight Club, you know? Um, totally. Same year, I think, right? This was also Fight Club year, 99? I believe so. I think so. Is it? Yeah, wow. See, this sounds um, awful. I've only seen Fight Club once, so I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> Oh. That's about right for me too. I think I've yeah. seen it once or twice. I never really. Uh, uh, you, but with all those names, because there's some good actors on the. Are there any more? Are there any really cool ones? Uh, yeah. So so one, they actually signed Leonardo DiCaprio. Leonardo Whoa. DiCaprio was signed on to make the movie, um, and then ultimately had to turn it down because when he basically went into the initial pre-production meetings, and they were like, okay, so. It's, we're going to be doing this four months of training, all of this stuff. Um, look at all these visual effects. This is going to be, and he was like, I just came off the Titanic <laughs> and it was hell. I don't want to do this again. I'm, I'm going to go make some Steven Spielberg movies or something. I don't know. Like, Fair I don't want to, I, I just don't want to do this again. Well, and they were like, okay, that's really cool because what I was going to, the point, what I kept thinking was I kept, because like Brad Pitt's a good actor and Nicolas Cage is a good actor, but who yeah. else? When I think of Keanu in the Matrix or Keanu in general, I think of the effort and like discipline mm-hmm. that he puts his body through for like every Matrix, every John mm-hmm. Wick. Yeah, and like who else would have done that? Mm-hmm. Well, was he? Like, I know now he actually is quite proficient at martial arts. Was he at this time? Is that one reason he no. was interested, or did this get yeah. him into this, it? This got him into ah. it. Yeah. No. Okay. So, so what it basically came down to was the studio wanted Keanu Reeves, who was fresh off of uh, The Devil's Advocate, which was like Hell a yeah. moderate success. Um, and they were like, we should do Keanu Reeves. I think that he's the right choice for this. The Wachowskis wanted Johnny Depp. And so it actually came down to the two. Uh, Johnny Depp and Keanu Reeves. They made him fight. And, and yeah, they threw a stick on the ground. Um, and, uh, but uh, but ultimately, um, even the Wachowskis were even won over by Keanu uh, during like screen tests and things like that. And so they ended up going with Keanu. But they're, they're, that's, they wanted Johnny Depp originally. Um, and I think ultimately Johnny Depp went on to do Sleepy Hollow that year oh, instead. That's um, awesome. So, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Sleepy Hollow. I love Sleepy Hell Hollow. Hell yeah. Um, Classic in yeah. my eyes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad that that went the way that it went. That all worked um, and, uh, Oh, and then another one. <laughs> this is really fun. Um, they actually sent the script to Sandra Bullock to play Neo. Oh, because they were like, "Why don't we just gender bend it and have her play Neo?" 
Uh, and they were like, uh, if she's interested, and Sandra Bullock was like, I don't know what this is. No. <laughs> that could <laughs> have been like, really cool. Silly. Yeah, it could have been cool. Yeah. Um, but I think also after the net, she probably wanted to stay as far away from internet related <laughs> content. I've never seen as the net. Possible. Oh, it's not good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's rough. Bullock is the most non Keanu that I've, I've been interested in any of the names that you've said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then, uh, and then we, you know, of course, we get uh, we get uh, Lawrence Fishburne as Morpheus. We get Carrie Ann Moss. Um, originally, they sent the role out to Janet Jackson, uh, who uh, wanted to do it, um, but uh, ended up turning down the role um, because of. Uh, uh, scheduling conflicts um but you know they they definitely wanted her for this role uh, and uh, I, I guess apparently she has an album on her 10th studio album discipline um the intro and outro interludes have like she like references the matrix and how much she wanted to be oh. in it. <laughs> they could have got Damn, her in I the sequels up. there you go could have done it again like they did with uh, with jada yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't think i've ever had, uh, seen janet jackson in a movie no, I don't think so either. Uh, been interesting. We're probably missing something um, really obvious, but I'm the same. Like, right. can she act? Yeah, I guess. And is it true that Sean Connery was was offered the part of Morpheus? No, actually, okay. that is that is an urban legend. The fact, the truth is, he was offered the role of the architect in <laughs> Reloaded. Um, is it bad that I could not? <laughs> yeah, I could see him playing both of those. I, I think it might yeah. work. Yeah. That would have been so distracting. <laughs> yeah. No, um, actually, they offered it to uh, Gary Oldman and Val Kilmer um, yeah. when it was going to be um, when Neo was uh, was was planned to be Will Smith. Uh, and uh, and then when they switched to, to um, Keanu Reeves or to a white actor, um, because, you know. If it's not Will Smith, then I guess we're just going to get a white guy. Um, <laughs> there's, there's only and, the one. Uh, of the, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they offered like... it to Samuel L. Jackson, who who turned it down to be in Star Wars. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Now, so. Lawrence Fishburne as well. I think he's the perfect choice because mm-hmm. Morpheus has to just ooze cool, right? That's the whole. He's like, yeah. He's charismatic without sort of being over the top. He's very reserved, but you're drawn to him. He's almost like a vampire himself. It's like, oh, what is it about this guy? And Lawrence yeah. is like that. He's just cool. I just love him yeah. in everything. I mean, he's in Hannibal. Oh, my God, he's so good. My my favorite thing about Larry Fishburne in the uh, revisited documentary is he does all of his talking heads. Everyone else is like they're they're training for Reloaded when they're filming it, mm-hmm. and so they're all like in a gym, right? And they're like sitting in a chair, and you can see in the background people like fight training right behind them. But when you go to Larry Fishburne, he is just laying on the ground. Just like chilling, and like it'll it'll cut to everybody. They're like, yeah, when I first read the script, you know, it was a lot to wrap my head around. He's like, and then it cut to somebody else, and like, yeah, I didn't understand it at all. And then you cut to Larry Fishburne, and he was like, what's not to understand? I got it right away. It was great. <laughs> and just like every time it would cut to him, it's him being like, yeah, no, it came really easy to me. The fighting was awesome. Like I, you know, they told me I was a natural. Because <laughs> like, he's not cool. <laughs> Yeah, he has the best vibe in that in that documentary. It's so fun. And also, uh, something I really noticed on this rewatch, 
that I think Lawrence Fishburne brings, I don't know if any of those actors could, is that kind of paternal energy that yeah. Morpheus gives, where yeah. he feels like a father to everyone on the crew, and you understand why they would lay down their lives for him, and that you can't, yeah. you know, you either have that or you don't. That's a really yeah, good point. Yeah, no, it totally totally makes sense for him to become like a patriarch on a, on a sitcom, you know, in, <laughs> right. in his later days. Like it makes perfect sense. And what I love about that though, is that comes across totally right, but they don't, they don't over egg the pudding. They don't go on about it. They're not like, Oh, I see you as a father morphe. Nobody says that. <laughs> we get yeah. it. We feel it. We, cause we're feeling the yeah. same thing. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so, um, fight training was four months. Uh, just four months of fight training. They brought in uh, a choreographer uh, from uh, a very famous uh, fight choreographer from um, uh, from uh, 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 like kung fu cinema and uh, uh, Yun Ping. Yes, and he. Thank you. And he. Um, I was like, I was like looking for his name. Oh well, I I, I knew I know for sure that Yun Wu Ping worked on the sequels. I didn't know for sure if he worked on the original, but that's cool. Yeah, I think he worked on the three, but not the most. Not Resurrections. No, he, no, he did not. Um, because I think he's retired at that point. That seems to be everyone's um, complaint but, about the new one, isn't it? Well, <laughs> I, well, I, well, we'll I have a it. lot. We have. I think we all have a lot to say about that movie when we get to it. Um, I'm excited to talk about it. But uh, uh, with this, basically, they went to him and they're like, "Hey, big fans, we really want you to do this movie." And he was like, "No, oh. I will never work in Hollywood. You guys don't know how to shoot fights. You don't know what you're doing. I I hate being told what to do. I have full like freedom." in in what i do where i'm doing it no absolutely not and they're like we'll let you design all of the fight choreography we won't get in your way no we will let you design fight individual fight styles for every character (laughs) and you'll be able to do whatever you want and he was like no i'm not doing it and they're like okay fine we'll also let you direct all the fight choreography so you pick the camera angles you decide how we shoot it and then he was like okay fine so like he just basically held out until he was given everything um and so that's why the fight choreography is so good you know i don't want to like take credit away from the wachowskis for what what they did but you can see him figuring out the shots that they're going to use in the fight choreography while they're in training He's like following his guys around with a camera and figuring out the right angles to get as much of the choreography in a single shot because he knows that's the best way to shoot fight choreography, Mm. not with lots of cuts, but with long shots. Um, And you can see him like figuring that out. And so, yeah, he directed a lot of this fight choreography, both the choreography itself, but also the way that the cameras interacted with it. And um, it's, all the better for it, I think. And uh, you almost wonder if uh, maybe we shouldn't be doing that all the time. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I, I but, can see when it's yeah. someone like him who is a master, who's proven themselves yeah. over the years. The fact that they would come to him with that, you know, be like, yeah, do what you want. Th- that proves that they are fans because you wouldn't right, just give that right. away to anyone, would you? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's so interesting. Like, filmmaking in general is so interesting from an ego place, right? Because it is such an egocentric media yeah. for being um, so collaborative it does exactly that's yeah. exactly my point is it's just like 
who cares if you don't direct the fight <laughs> fight scenes if they look like that? It's mm-hmm. just going to make the whole movie feel better. But it's like, my movie. Don't get it? your ego out of the <laughs> way and make the best movie for everybody. You know? Um, right. At the end of the day, your name is going to be on the directed by slate. Mm-hmm. So, like, make <laughs> collaborate and make an awesome movie. And that's exactly what they did. So. Right. I mean, like, just doing this show, Scott, how many times have we come across the narrative of someone has been hired to do one thing and then for some reason not allowed to do the thing they've been hired to do? <laughs> totally. Totally. Absolutely. Um, so this was uh, this was huge. And uh, and yeah, and so they shot the whole movie in Australia. One of the reasons that they wanted to shoot it in Australia was the Wachowskis were like, if we go to Australia, it'll be really hard for the studio to call us every day or drop by the set. <laughs> so we'll be able to do whatever we want and uh, just give them a movie at the end. Genius. So they really... They really said yes to the Australia thing because it was between a couple of places that they could have gone to and gotten a similar tax credit. But they ended up going to Australia to get Warner Brothers out of their hair, basically. <laughs> um, and, uh, and it worked out. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they made, the, they, they made this movie. And um, oh, one of the things in the fight choreography, like in the, in the beginning, um, Keanu had to uh, – remove one of his vertebrae and fuse the vertebrae. Um, uh, he had like this surgery where he was uh, getting, he was becoming paralyzed oh. basically um, in like the mid to late nineties. And so in order to heal himself, he had to remove a vertebrae and then fuse them together. And so he did all of the fight choreography, all of the learning fresh off surgery um, and had a neck brace on. If you ever the whole see, time like video of him behind the scenes. He's like just fully training with a huge neck brace. Yeah. Oh, that's wild. Um, It's because they just fused his neck back together basically. Um, And uh, he's, and that's also the reason why Neo doesn't kick a lot in the movies. (laughs) Um, Specifically in the first one is because all he could do was throw punches because kicking was like, it was like just too much. Um, So he has a couple of kicks in the movie and they're very cool. They're very iconic. Um, but for the most part, Neo is more of an arms and hands fighter. I like that though. Um, It gives him a style, doesn't it? Like that's Neo's thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. It does. And when you think of him, you think of him like moving his arms around. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, and, and, you know, and that's one of the things the fight choreographer liked the challenge. He was like, Oh, I like the challenge of having to make him look cool, even though he's never going to use his legs. <laughs> <laughs> like that was like a challenge for him. And he, I think he nailed it. I mean, yep. Neo just rules. I mean, everyone wants to be Neo. Right. And it's like, guy doesn't even kick a lot, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's cool. It's cool. Unlike his idol, Bruce Lee. Aye. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so let's, uh, let's, let's, Start talking about. Uh, let's get into the breakdown, Nick. Um, this movie, uh, you know, I'm going to use this comparison a lot because I think it's very apt. Please, this movie is the Back to the Future to the sequels, Back to the Future two and three. Um, in I think it's very so apt. in so many ways, right? Like not just the fact that the sequels were shot back to back, just like Back to the Future, but also that they're considered lesser. Um, and they're, they're a lot messier. They're a little sloppier than, um, than what this like sort of perfect movie is, right? The matrix is kind of a perfect movie. It's exactly what it sets out to be. And it just like, there's not an ounce of fat on it. You know, I mean, it is just a well-oiled machine, if you will. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it, um, there's, there's definitely 
I think what all the perfect movies that you and I have talked about over the years, be it Back to the Future, Scream, this, there's an immediate like confidence mm-hmm. of like we know exactly what we're trying to, you know, the experience you guys are about to go on. And like I wrote in my notes, even the studio logos yeah. with that iconic Matrix fanfare. Yeah. You know, I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. I, have, I, have, I didn't watch these before Resurrections, so it's been a while. Um <laughs> Because I knew we'd be doing this. So yeah. like I was like, oh my God. And then yeah, so we get um one of the best like best first six minutes of a movie in history. <laughs> uh with like carrying well, first we get that really cool bit of like audio between Cypher and Trinity mm-hmm. where so much storytelling is done, and, like, oh, you're watching him again, you're kind of obsessed with him. Well, Morpheus thinks he's the one, you know we're gonna kill him, right? Oh shit, we have to go, there's agents after us. <laughs> yeah. Like it's like yeah. like we said, no fat. And well, and it, and what's great about it too is like rewatching it this time. It had never occurred to me before that before now, but now watching it, I was like, "Oh, the agents are there because Cipher has turned them in multiple times. Like he's constantly oh. trying to get back into the Matrix, and so the fact that the agents are here in this scene is because he all, has already started betraying them. Oh, I've never thought about that. I always assumed that when he betrayed them later. That's just his first time. Like, yeah, now I want out. But no, you're, yeah. you're probably right. Yeah. 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 Because he wants to get to him before they get the one. Yeah. Because regardless of whether he believes it, that's still like an extra man on the table that he just needs to get rid of. <laughs> so, yeah, why not get rid of him now? I'm already killing five people. I don't <laughs> want to kill six people. Yeah. It's kind of cool. And, and you're right. Like, you know, everything. I can't imagine watching this in the theater like in 99, but mm-hmm. like just trinity and without saying a word just immediately owns yeah yeah and like the wall run is great the like that whole first fight is just so brutal and immediately you're like this is the coolest movie character ever yeah i don't even know and it does it does such a good job of you know they hold off explaining what anything any of this is (laughs) until like 40 minutes into the movie and so for the first 40 minutes you're just Hanging on by the skin of your teeth of just like, what the hell is going on? What is this? How are they doing that? What is any of this? What are they talking about? That is, what is uh, the Matrix? <laughs> that is a dangerous thing to do with your movie. That could go yeah. really wrong. And somehow it never yeah. does. You're always interested, even though you don't know what's happening. Yeah. Like, yeah, you're right. Watching it now, I just think, wow, look how well they're explaining all the things that I know now about the Matrix world. Yeah. Yeah. But at some point, I was watching this for the first time just completely in, even though I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. Like, yeah. Why she didn't get run over by the truck in the phone booth. Why she had to get to a hard... What, what it meant that the hard line had been yanked out. Yeah. I, yeah, I suppose the first time you're watching it, you're just... You're just accepting it at face felt like, okay, I guess she has to go to the phone booth <laughs> for some reason. Okay. I think you're right. I think it's because it's told visually. Mm-hmm. The audience is like, well, I don't know, but I know that I want her to get to the phone booth because she just whooped ass on those cops. Yeah. yeah. It also seems super <laughs> urgent. She seems to really want to get there. So. Yeah. Carry on Moss is so good that when she's like, are there agents? And she's like so afraid, you know, yeah. when she has to like force herself to get up. Yeah. 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 So I think because because yeah. we are on her side already, we just roll with it. Like, OK, if she wants to if this is her goal, I'm on board. OK, let's go <laughs> with whatever, yeah. you, whatever you know, you're taking me on. Yeah, it's not unlike she's a lot like uh, Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. 
Another another part I think of the movie that ages really well, and you wouldn't think so when I when I describe what what it, what it is, but like at the time, right? Movies generally were shot on backlots and sound stages. That's just how movies were made back then. We didn't really transition into like we're shooting on location at places with like sweeping vistas mm-hmm. and stuff until around like Christopher Nolan is when it became very popularized because he's all about like staying away from sets and shooting in real stuff, right? Yeah. And I think one of the things that ages really well with this movie is like at the time you watch it and you're like, Okay, so the real world that we think is real is actually the Matrix. Everything is a simulation, et cetera, et cetera, right? But watching it now, you realize how small the Matrix is, Mm. right? It really feels like one city. It feels fake, you know? It doesn't feel real, like really. It feels like like a... a simulation of what would be real, which is what a set is. And so all of this stuff just plays so much better now that we recognize these things as backlots and sets because we've lived through this whole 20 year period of everything is shot on location. Yeah. And also like the city of Australia has a lot to do with my memory of quote matrix city. The city of Australia. Oh, no, sorry, that's that. that it is, it is. The cities of Australia, or yeah. Sid- wherever they shot. Because, like, yeah, like when I that was another kind of discombobulating thing with Resurrections. Is it was like, oh, this looks. Di- it's a different program. It's a different city. Well, I've heard people. I mean, we'll delve more into it. Criticize it for that, and it's like, no, but in that, it's supposed to look different. It's supposed to mm-hmm. feel different, so it makes sense at least. Right. Right. Because, like, yeah, this is a desolate. Again, no disrespect to Sydney, but like you know, cold and concrete, and yeah, like like a, a machine would make this. Yeah, is it Sydney or Melbourne? I'm unsure. I <laughs> I'm unsure. I feel bad having uh, so many Australian guests on Bat Minute. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I've never been. Um, nope, Sydney. You're right, Sydney. I just cool. looked it up. Okay. Uh, in any event, inside inside of Sydney, in just one nameless building, uh, we in an apartment building, uh, Tom Anderson is asleep at his very like super nineteen ninety nine computer setup. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. But to me, that was the coolest uh, thing. I'm like, look at him; he's a rebel. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's falling asleep in front of his computer because <laughs> he's been up all night hacking. You know, Scott, it's cool that you brought it back to the future because I had I also thought about back to the future when on uh, Mr. Anderson's computer screen, we see uh, Morpheus on a newspaper headline. Oh, yeah. The fugitive Morpheus evades capture, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, that's good. And uh, so the thing I really liked, I noticed is like uh, the what isn't being told is really interesting. Like we never learn why Morpheus is considered the most dangerous man alive mm-hmm. and a terrorist. Um, so we get the iconic, like, you know, computer screen, you know, Trinity talking to Neo via the chat. Right. And I don't know, maybe it's nostalgic. I just really miss this version of cyberspace and yeah. like the, the keys and the clicks and the, 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 you know, the green code. Yeah. When it was basically magic, it was like indecipherable for magic. Yeah, yeah it, it, <laughs> John, did you ever set up like this? Uh, like that? Not quite like not quite like this. Okay. But I I miss that whole era as well. It's too prominent now. We, I don't want my parents on the internet. That's weird. <laughs> it's for yeah. nerds like me to be do nerdy things. I don't want Facebook recommendation to be my cousins and things like that. Go away. Leave me alone. I want to sit yeah. like Neo late at night 
doing nerd crap. Um, yeah. I never had this, but I did, of course, grow up using a lot of MS-DOS, which isn't as cool green, but, you know, there's a lot of typing involved. There's a lot of uh, command prompts yeah. and things. No, but, you, yeah, you're right. Like, at this point in time, it was like, oh, cyberspace. Oh, that person, he uses the internet. He goes online. It was an action. You had to actively go and do it. It wasn't just like now. It's like, well, we're always online. And when those cool, uh, when those cool party rave goths come to visit him, uh, I love that we never know. We have no idea what Neo is giving him for two. two yeah, grand. what he's selling on those discs. If you, yeah. if, if you get caught with that, man, you can go to jail for a long time. Don't worry, man. And as a kid, I'm like, yeah, sure, it's computer stuff. It's a virus uh, yeah. or something. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's it is interesting. He must. I mean, my my thought is like it must be some sort of like like hacking tool. Mm. Is is my thought process is like some sort of program that like you know helps you hack into like I don't know whatever this guy is trying to hack into. Yeah, I, I instantly thought of a bank as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's interesting. I mean, like it's kind of um, like his book of of little programs that he has, mm-hmm. just the mix of tactile and yes. mysterious cyber. Mm. Yeah, I think now we don't even you know. Like computers are so sort of cloud based now, you don't even really see a lot of thumb drives anymore. Like no. we we went from like hard disks to like CDs and then thumb drives, and now there's just kind of nothing. Like we don't really exchange information that way anymore. Um, and so I do miss that tactile nature. Like we don't have anything. I like do. That like anymore. I understand. Obviously, it's it's more convenient now, but there's just something about. Yeah. The physical, the clunkiness of it. It's, there's a charm, yeah. isn't it? which is why I love the technology in uh, in Alien, because they're thinking oh, about sure. the future, but they've not they've not changed the technology really. It looks like seventies tech. It's great. It's like big keys, right. bum, bum, bum. reams of paper yeah. coming out. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Uh, some, something else I noticed in, in relation to a lot of modern movies, because you know the hacker archetype or tech archetype hasn't gone anywhere. But I feel like now Hollywood screenwriters try to puff up their characters by making them spew jargon. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that ages like milk. Yes. And I think it's how Matrix so definitely is ageless and timeless because you never they never delve into what Neo is doing online that's gotten him in so much trouble. They just show you the cool th- parts of it. Right. That's a very really good point. you yeah. buy... Uh, yeah. Thank you. Because no, then you get a movie, like, obviously very, very different type of movie, but uh, Hackers, let's say. Every line of yes. that is dated in, in the best way, but you couldn't do that in something like this. It would just make it ridiculous. Yeah. In fact, all the jargon is, like, very real. Mm. You know, it's simplistic. They simplify a lot of it, um, and, and sometimes they cut over some steps, you know. But it's all there. Like everything that they're saying is like legitimate terminology. Like it's not stuff that they're just making right. up, you know? Like when the, when Trinity is talking to him, he's hitting control X and escape. Yeah. He is just like, whoa, tap, 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 you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then we get one of the greatest meat cutes in cinema history. <laughs> yeah. I, I kept thinking like, there I was kids. <laughs> I've been invited to this underground bondage club. <laughs> Dracula was playing on the stereo. The first of 
uh, of a there is a rave a rave sort of like club dance bondage something in every single movie. Yeah, every movie has one of these scenes for about um, and three years, maybe. First one. What's that? For about three years, maybe. Like every, every oh, I mean every oh, Matrix every, movie. Has I, I think every scenes. goddamn film that came out. Since That's <laughs> Blade for sure. Yeah. If yeah. you even want to go really like out there, like uh, Vin Diesel's Triple X even has it. God damn it, he's a spy. Very, yeah. yeah. It became yeah. It it just became a, a a place you would go in movies for a while. Mm-hmm. Too Fast, Too yeah. Furious. Yeah. Yeah. But this uh, is Men, Men in Black International. <laughs> great, yeah, yeah. Even to this day. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this is great, and it's like, yeah, it's it's a mood, and like the extras are great, and then um, I just love the sound design of Trinity having to like shout the intimacy of shouting at someone at a at a very crowded place. Mm-hmm. Of like, I know why you sit and you're making, yeah, and like, yeah, what a great entrance again for Trinity. Oh yeah, that's really good. I like his reaction of like, I thought. I, I I thought you were a man, you know, I didn't know that you were a woman, you know, and I just love that reaction uh, to it. And well, I thought you'd it, be a guy. Most guys do. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. So good. So good. And yeah. so much about like identity and like meeting someone IRL that whose reputation you knew online and then not being what you expect them to be. It's like kind of the stuff that ages the best now in this yeah oh absolutely yeah and yeah if anything i mean that's the first sign for as has now been revealed a lot of it actually is like allegories and things for uh gender uh identity yes. and stuff like that so anyone who disputes it it's right there it's right there <laughs> yeah and yeah, it's yeah. kind of the whole thing right it's like you know the reason that agent smith who we haven't introduced yet, but we will. <laughs> um, Agent Smith refers to Neo only as Tom Anderson, Thomas Anderson, Mr. Anderson. He's dead naming yep. him. I mean, that's that's what's going on, you know? Um, and it's 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 so you watch you I, I like I just watched this documentary and you just see Lana and Lily sitting there and I'm like, oh, you poor women. Like I like I you can just tell that they're just like screaming for somebody to be like recognize oh, us no. um and it's 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 horrible i mean it really it broke my heart watching that documentary um because they're just so obviously women and everything about this movie um is is them reckoning with that and i'm i'm you know we'll never know they're very private people yeah. lana and lily um very very private people but I want to know if they knew that each other were trans or if they were both going through this alone or if they were going through it together and were like real, if they had each other during this or not. I've always wondered Because about like that. the idea of them both going through it separately and not telling one another breaks my heart even more. Exactly. Yeah. You know? That's why I've thought about it because it's, that's horrible. Uh, you at least yeah. hope that, oh, they had each other. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but it's all over the movie without a doubt. Uh, something that I noticed in this scene, you know, because like totally what 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 Scott said about Agent Smith really valid. But like, I think up to this point, Trinity is the first character to really make a point of calling him Neo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And saying, because I think even the hackers are like, hey, Tom, like, come on, come out and party with us, you know? Yeah. And that she's just immediately this first invitation to this other world for Neo. Like I recognize you for who you really are. Yeah, and he can right. see and a future. Like really I can are. be, I can be who I want to be now. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Like, 
I see right. you. I see you for who you really are. Follow me, and you can be where I'm at now. Mm, and, right. You know, because right. look at me. Look how cool I am. Look how in my skin I am. Look at my cool, like, leather outfit that would look ridiculous on anyone else. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but then uh, the morning after, Tom, uh, Tom has to face the hard reality of his uh, decisions, and he's at the video game company that I think is even what he works at in Resurrections, or does he start a new one? We'll, we'll, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure that out. But I never really bought – I never registered as a kid that he was a worked for a video game company. I just thought he worked at a software company because that's what Agent Smith says. Yeah. But I now like the retroactive of him. Like this is him at the bottom of the rung and he works his way up to the top. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that idea. Yeah, I've cool. never thought about that. I assumed it was just a generic software company as well. Like, I don't know. Just... That, that could very well be it. Because it seems, that seems like – it doesn't look like he's making Doom. It looks like he's <laughs> <laughs> making like the most boring thing. But yeah, I mean like this is so 90s like – the asshole boss, like you're not, you're nothing, man. You're a cog. Yeah, he's basically Dilbert. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've never, th- I've never compared the two, but a hundred percent correct. Yeah, this is a Dilbert spinoff. Yeah, he's got an yeah. ill-fitting suit, you know. Um, and it's so, it's so genius because we just got back from this freaky, cool underground club where he got to mm-hmm. meet Trinity, and now it's like. The Matrix is forcing him back into like, no, this is where you belong. You belong in this suit and you need to be scolded like a child by your boss for being yeah. late. This yeah. is my life. You know, I'm doing cool stuff at yeah. the weekend. Then I have to just be normal to go to work. <laughs> I feel his pain. I'm with Neo. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. And I think this is kind of why you could be anyone in the world in a movie theater and connect with Neo in this moment mm-hmm. of like... Cause it's, yeah, it's this thing of like, of like, I am in my mind and I know that I have this life and these things, these feelings and thoughts and things that I like doing and things that I'm capable of. But then every day I have to come in and I have to talk to this asshole <laughs> who knows nothing about me and, but just belittles me and tells me that I'm small and shit and go back to work, you know, and cracks the whip. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, that is so relatable and so frustrating of like just having this boss who does not give a shit about you. You're just a, you're a rusty cog in the machine and you need to shake the rust off and keep moving or I'll find somebody else. I'll find a new cog. It doesn't matter, you know? And it, it resonates with me as like, you know, the matrix, you know, we don't actually, as far as I know, we're not actually in pods right now being, (laughs) you know, used as energy by robots, but we, but we do all work for like, a company yeah. and a boss. And as we've, yeah. we work in a system and as we've learned now that system doesn't give a shit about us. <laughs> right. We're metaphorically batteries. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's the thing. And when so. we, and when we die, they just like empty us out and like, mm-hmm. well, that sucks. We need to yeah. have a new pot opening. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so that's where my mind went. And then uh, we get to his office. And, you know, I've heard the thing online about people now watching this being like, oh, my God, look how big Neo's office is. He's <laughs> <laughs> got all that space to himself. I suppose that, that's dating oh, the... the movie. But, again, in a good way, almost. Like, oh. His cubicle? Yeah. Like, I've, oh, wow. I've, I've seen that before. Of like, I don't know. Oh, man, you could fit two people in there. <laughs> Yikes. That's upsetting. <laughs> See, at least over here, as bad as some of our offices are, we don't tend to have the cubicle thing. I think that would just right. – I would want to kill myself. I'd jump out the window. Scott, did you ever have a, have a cubicle? 
No. No, never did. Never never worked in an office setting with a cubicle. Hmm. Um, I worked in office settings where there were cubicles, but I never worked in a cubicle. Oh, um, thank God. Like <laughs> when I worked in – well, I worked in shipping and receiving, and then like the salespeople had cubicles. Like, you know? Someday I'm going to get a fucking cubicle. <laughs> yes. I was, like, I was like, yeah, I want to be in a cubicle one day. It's yeah. like the Simpsons. They uh, give you one wall at that. a time for good performance. Like you get, the, you get one wall. There you go. And if you do well next yeah. month, you get another one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so he gets a call from one of the coolest looking cell phones I'd ever seen. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that snap phone or, you know. Yeah. This was the start of like cell phone culture. That's one of the things that we didn't even mention. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, was was that like cell phone culture? That's this is where it started, guys. Like they, the Matrix. They, they made it look cool to snap your phone open and well, close because it. I couldn't have yeah. one of those phones. I didn't want right. I didn't want a cell phone. I didn't see the point. It's like, well, I don't want my parents being able to contact me. <laughs> What's the point in that? It's stupid. So I wouldn't get yeah. one for years. If I could have had this yeah. one, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, that spring-loaded cell phone, that is the coolest <laughs> thing. Still is. Yep. And like, yeah, this whole this whole foot just chase is iconic with, you know, Morpheus on the phone, oh, knowing, yeah. knowing the layout of his office. And uh, it's really effective that Neo kind of fails his first challenge yeah. of... I think we've all been there where we're like, actually, I don't believe in myself. I can't scale this building. I'm going to go back down and get arrested. <laughs> Very relatable. There's not a chance. Like, he went further than I ever would have gone. The fact he even went out onto the balcony is like, what are you doing? Go back. Get arrested. It's fine. Yeah. That that cell phone dropping is so great. It really is like stomach oh. turning. Especially because I don't like heights. So I'm just like, oh, God, no. Mm-hmm. I'm also very curious what the plan was, like from Morpheus' perspective. Right. Like, okay, you get him out there, he gets on the roof, because that's where he told him to go. Then what? Is he going to make him jump? Yeah. Or, like, what was the next like step to, in the I process? like to think that right around the corner of the building, you had Apoc and Mouse as, like, window washers in disguise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to, right? Because you can't make him jump, because you've got to build to that. Haven't you in this world? Right. Like, there's no way he's mm-hmm. he could so. free his mind enough at this point to just be like, yeah, I'm just going to jump off this building. It's fine. Jump. You'll you'll wake up in a in a spaceship. <laughs> yeah. Or is Morpheus just sitting sitting on the roof in like a like a lawn chair, like ready to do the whole red pill blue pill situation? <laughs> he's got a little drink oh, shit, next to him <laughs> and everything. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, honestly, it was better that he got arrested. Yeah. This is this is a better. This is better. This, the mood's better. <laughs> Everything about the situation is better. That's, uh, this time. That's, that's something I think a lot of DMs can relate to. <laughs> yeah. Like, all right, I have my whole thing set up. He's gonna scale the Oh, he didn't. Okay, shit. All right, I'll do this later. <laughs> I suppose Morpheus is the DM of this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then we get another iconic scene. I mean, yeah, this whole movie is just oops all bangers, but Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, we get the uh, the interrogation scene. And we can finally maybe talk a little bit about Hugo Weaving and how this is Maybe one of the best performances in a movie, period. One of my yeah. top actors, I think. He's always gold in everything. He yeah. just immediately... I just imagine him looking at the pages of the script and being like, I know who this guy is. And then just like, boom, doing the voice. Yeah. Yeah. And just knowing exactly what movie he's in. 
This is another situation where uh, Lawrence Fishburne just like absolutely rules in that documentary because, like I said, he's just lounging, <laughs> right? And you're cutting to everybody, he, and and they're like, uh, he's like, yeah, I don't know where the voice came from. It was just, you know, I was thinking about the kind of guy this was, and you know, I'm wearing the '60s suit, and I'm 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 like trying, I want to do something American, but I want to overdo it a little bit. And so he's like talking, he's like, but I don't really know where it came from. And Keanu was like. The first time that he did the voice, I was like, oh, my God, I'm in the room with a legend. This is amazing. I don't know where it came from, all this thing. And then Lawrence, you cut to Lawrence Fishburne. He goes, it's Walter Cronkite. <laughs> <laughs> He's doing Walter Cronkite. Ruining the mystery, Lawrence. <laughs> it, it, just, it was just so funny. That's Lawrence great. Fishburne every time would just, like, suck the, the wind right out of the very much sails. <laughs> Oh, it it is uh, such a cool voice though, because th- there's something about the the rhythm of it that <clears throat> it's unsettling. There's something off about him. You know, he's not that, like what's with this guy. He's not quite right. Before yeah. you even know it's, what he is, it's so great. You can tell what you can you can tell what the being Smith is trying to act like. Yeah, because mm-hmm. like very '90s. Because like we've all we hated this guy in the '90s, <laughs> like. The man, the dude in a suit telling you, like, move along, get back to your, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I hate them now, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> For sure, yeah. And in terms of in terms of mythology, Matrix mythology, right, mm. um, the agents and the, uh, later, the Oracle, I believe, are the only programs we meet in this particular film. Right, pretty sure. Are any, yeah, yeah. Because I don't think any of the kids with the Oracle are programs. Because I don't know what they would be doing if they are. Well, I don't know. They might be programs in the way that I can't wait to. I I, I watch the sequels, but what? But like, I think Sati is a program. Okay. Yeah. So maybe they're programs in the way that she's a program. Well, she's the yeah. child of two programs. Okay. The way all of that works yeah. is a mystery to me. Like. <laughs> I'm I'm excited to really dig into it when we get into the to the sequels because I've done a lot of research <laughs> on on what all of it means. Great, and I'm really excited to get into it. Because um, like yeah, but I mean, well, not to skip ahead, but like yeah, are those kids unplugged ki- kids that are now hanging out in the Matrix the way Neo is, or are they like beings of the Matrix like the Oracle and Sati or right. Seraph? Right, right, programs programs i like that it doesn't delve into that too much i know some people think the sequels Absolutely. go a little bit too yeah. far with philosophy and things but it never like i don't really need to know what the, what are the programs doing in their day-to-day <laughs> like do they live a life like a person what do they do i don't know I don't oh know. i love it i love knowing <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but that is a lot like back to the future though again where the movie kind of knows what not to tell you or like yeah. you barely you just kind of get that doc brown is a kooky scientist yeah, that's all you yeah. need to know absolutely yeah so uh, we get literally John, uh, you know, Neo's ability to speak is taken away from him by this program. Mm-hmm. And it just rang really true to me of like, you know, I live this individual life where I think I have free will and I think I have control. But then like a thing like the IRS or just something will remind you like, oh, no, you have no we could take away your whole life in an instant if we wanted. Yeah. To. Yeah. Yeah. We can literally stop yeah. you from speaking in this movie. Like, oh my god, that's yeah. that's another level of uh, control. That is legitimately, I think, you know, in terms of like irrational fears, 
the idea of my mouth going away and not being able to like breathe out of my oh. mouth mm. is horrifying to me. Um, it's that is that is like I I I I don't I don't think I could handle it. I would be like losing <laughs> yeah. my mind. It um, almost seems like a something like like teeth falling out. Ugh. Like yeah. something that means something. If you talk to a therapist, I'm like, oh, that means this. Yeah. Yeah. It probably does um, mean something. Because even we need a dream analyst. Even the fact that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Even <laughs> the fact that Keanu Reeves had to go through makeup to remove his mouth and not have a mouth for like six hours oh. that day. Yeah. I could maybe wow. stomach is, it for half an hour. Uh, no. Yeah. I, just, I don't think I could. I would rip the makeup off constantly, <laughs> like constantly, because I would just lose my mind. Um, I think so. about that with uh, Jim Carrey Grinch. Yeah. Yeah. Like how long I would last under there. Yeah. Ugh. That's such anyway. a... I think I'm just really claustrophobic. I don't know. Imagine the <laughs> amount of time as well. Because you, you'd feel it slowly building and building and building. If, if you're Jim Carrey, especially, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. That, it must just feel like you're being entombed slowly. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I'd hate it. Yeah. Give me mocap. Give me give me a a, a suit with light on. <laughs> yeah, oh, I yeah. get that, but I tell you what, th- this mouth <laughs> effect still looks really good. I oh, think looks great. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, when you get the thing, the, the 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 drone, the bug. Yeah, and it's so great. I love the bug because it is such a great little hint of the aesthetic of the machines that we're going to yeah. see later. Yes, yes, um, and it's. Very off-putting. The bug into the belly button. Oh, yeah. Very, so, of all the, yeah. very similar to the worm in the ear in Wrath of Khan. Oh, but the know? belly button's even worse yeah. somehow. I think because I've never seen anything invade a body through the belly button before. Like, oh, my God, oh. that's hideous. The fact It's really great yeah. filmmaking again because, again, like this, this is such a heady script or whatever, and there are a lot of concepts. But every human being on the planet can imagine that feeling. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah, really big populist filmmaking again, I think. And so he uh, he wakes up, Morpheus calls him, tells him to meet up at the Adam Street Bridge. And he uh, he goes into the car and meets uh, Apoc, Trinity, and Switch. Mm-hmm. Now, Switch is an interesting character because uh, she was changed from the initial concept of the character. The uh, initial concept of the character was that um, she was a woman in the real world and mm. then in the matrix she would be played by a male actor mm. um the idea being that she is transgender and they're not being any sort of like transgender you know situation in the real world because of the way that it is um you know they, that means that like her like the switches um uh, uh real self in the matrix was a man uh, because they, he's supposed to be a transgender man. And the studio was the one that was like, no, that's too confusing. No one will understand it because Switch isn't a main character. Okay. I mean, you wouldn't like, it would just be confusing. It'd be like, well, where'd this guy come from? You know? I vaguely get um, that. Because, like, honestly, I don't remember Switch's name. I don't know Switch. I didn't know Switch's name really until I started doing research for this. <laughs> um, and learning about this. And I was like, oh, that's a really cool idea. I think in execution, the studio was probably right. But it would have been cool if they would have had the time and the space in it 
to actually delve into that a little bit more or even do it in the sequel. Yeah, yeah. You know, like have one of the have one of the captains in the in the meeting be transgender or something. Um, that would have been. Kind I think of cool, you do, but, you do need um, to spend a bit of time on it. Not not like a whole half of yeah. the movie or something, but yeah, if it's just like a bit character in the background, that probably would be a bit like, well, this is who's this? This is a different person. Unless you actually right, address right. it in some form, it would be a little bit weird. But I love the concept because obviously yeah. a lot of trans people, non-binary people, things like that, um, will use like gaming, for instance. Um, you know, to make like uh, characters of another gender, that's one of the first things yeah. people do. Is like, oh, okay, you know, I'm I'm a man, I I think, but you know, I'll make this this female character for for my MMO, yeah, yeah, you know. and they take on a new identity. Yeah. So it's right. a bit like that because the Matrix is a game essentially, well, literally in right. the in the new one. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. What's so interesting about that idea to me is. In, in, the, in the context of the film, in the world of the film, right. it introduces the idea that the Matrix at times can be used as a tool of expression mm-hmm. and fulfillment and mm-hmm. even suggests the, the hint of the, a whisper of maybe the Matrix can be good sometimes. Mm-hmm. But but only if you're free, because right. because yeah. because, you know, I don't think that switch would have been anything but a woman when they were plugged in. Ah, right. Yeah. But, but it's the fact that they're free and they have the power to like, when, when, when Neo goes into the matrix or goes into the, the white room for the first time. Right. Um, he's like, he has his hair again and Morpheus explains like, yeah, this is your like internal vision of yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think that's only true in the context of being free and then re-entering the matrix. Yeah. Right. Um, versus being plugged in and being a battery, I think the matrix forces you into like whatever binary gender you're born into. Right. Like yeah. now I can go on the internet and look up whatever I want, but I have no right. control over who is watching me, who is c- copying my identity, stealing my information, using my search habits to cater what ads I am shown. Mm. Yeah. Like the difference between control and lack of control, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And just the systems that are in place to stop you from being truly free, which is why the red pill thing has been taken into like a completely horrendous direction yeah. is because of that, because of the misuse of the word freedom. Right. right. And right. and what that means. Or to take it um, off the internet. Like you're born with a you're born with a body, you're born with consciousness, and then very quickly the matrix kicks in and you are put into these constructs of like right. this is who you are, this is what you're supposed to do, these are your expectations yeah. of like what kind of person you're supposed to be. Right. Right. Yeah. So um, God. So, so Good movie. <laughs> good movie, guys. Uh, we are not even into act two. <laughs> yeah. So uh they pull the bug out, it's horrific. It's another thing that I think you can just re- you remember feeling watching it. Yeah, I can feel it now. You describing it, ah. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it, it shooting out into that into the thing. Every time it happens, it like shoots into the little the little container, right? And I'm like, how did that get out? <laughs> Does he have like a huge hole in his belly button now? Like, I need to go he, to a hospital, please. Why, yeah, well, yeah, I'm like, why isn't he freaking out about this? <laughs> yeah. They just dump him outside a hospital and drive off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess because it's not real i guess with like an ice pack like here you go man <laughs> well that's actually a question that you just brought up there um is 
It's not real. But so what have they done to him? Have they what what is actually happening to Neo? Oh, uh, so I think you you mean in terms of the bug. Yeah, so like is it a I bug think, like in a computer sense like they're bugging him. <laughs> I think it's two things. I think that it would it's basically the equivalent of it's like the program equivalent of the red pill. So yeah. like if he were to be pulled out and they didn't pull the bug out of him, then they would be able to track them in the real world. Uh-huh. But also they're able to track them in the program in, in the matrix itself as well. Uh-huh. Um, I think it does both of those things and they could probably like listen to their conversations and things like that as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's all of those things. And so they're like, we just need to get rid of this thing. <laughs> yeah. Cypher probably has one. Oh yeah. Most likely. Yeah. Uh, so they take him to they they take uh, Neo to meet Morpheus, and we get the scene. Um, at last, lightning strike. You're right, Scott. Morpheus is very vampire-like. No, Jonathan said that. Oh, John actually. said that. My bad. Yeah, the whole presentation of him and that scene in particular. Yeah, like that could be that could be in. I was going to say in Buffy, but that's a bit silly. Like a Dracula film or something. Yeah. Like, Welcome to my castle. Yeah. <laughs> Gary, it's Gary, super goth. Gary it's super goth. <laughs> and like, yeah, everything we said earlier about Lawrence Fishburne, I think, rings true here. He is just so immediately commanding and cool, but also authoritative. And like he explained, he just he, you know, he pronounces it trippingly on the tongue. Like maybe another actor wouldn't have sung this dialogue the way Lawrence Fishburne did, but it just doesn't feel like the giant info dump that it kind of is. Um, I think yeah. much like um, Hugo Weaving, the the trick with Morpheus there is it's the delivery. You've got to mm. – his appeal is, is partly in the way he's saying things. I, I think you said that it was like he's singing it. It is. It's like musical. Yeah. It's like beautiful to listen to just the way he's saying normal sentences. You're like, oh, this, it draws you in. And having him opposed yeah. to Hugo Weaving, like, oh, what, what, what performances from the two of them? No one else would do it that way, and it wouldn't have worked any other way for me. Right. Yeah. It, it's funny that Leonardo DiCaprio was almost cast as Neo because there is such a one-to-one between this and Inception oh. in terms of, like, the way that it uses um, it, it, it uses dialogue to just, like, throw exposition at the audience through a new character who doesn't know what's going on, you know? And it's like, you just have full dialogue scenes of one character explaining how all of this works <laughs> to another character. Like Ron and Harry. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, and it's just, uh, it, it is really interesting, although I think that it is also the beginning of Unfortunately, again, just another thing <laughs> that this movie does really great, but then has like this negative side effect. This is the start of like cinema sense, I think. Yeah. And like how you have to explain everything or it's a fault in the yeah, movie. It's a plot hole. You know? No, it's not. It's a plot hole. Yeah. And you should you should ju- go jump off a bridge <laughs> um, rather than release this movie like this. You piece of shit. Uh, and, and yeah, and I think that I think this and then definitely Nolan for sure, I think, took it up a level. But this was definitely the start of that sort of cultural shift of like, no, I want to know everything. I want 
you to explain everything to me. And I think that you don't realize how little this movie explains yeah. to you ultimately um, until you get to the sequels uh, when they really get into the weeds <laughs> on explaining how all this works. Yeah. But um, And even then you find out it's 5% of what the Wachowskis had in their brain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it is, but it is so well done in this movie. And I think you're right. I, you know, the difference here is that Morpheus is played by Lawrence Fishburne, this incredible actor who just turned all of this into poetry. And then you have in the sequel, the architect who is not, not the most, char- let's just say the, not the most charismatic <laughs> actor that's ever been on film. Well, certainly not we'll up against we'll Lawrence. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, you know, the blue pill and red pill are presented. They both have always looked equally delicious to me. Mm-hmm. Take both and go uh, on a wild ride. They are they are <laughs> NyQuil and DayQuil, literally. Oh, cool. They, yes. they literally they just popped them out. <laughs> yeah, they're just NyQuil and DayQuil. It's the reason why the pills look so different in Resurrections is because they were like, well, I guess we have the money. Let's actually design the pills this time instead <laughs> of... Just opening up a package of night quality. Yeah, keep it consistent. Um, Just get loads of those. I cannot wait until our Matrix Resurrections episode, and I can talk about what that movie does with the idea of choice, mm. the idea uh-huh. of what the construct of the pill test does to the person taking it. Yep. But Hashtag we're not, fuck the binary. Right. <laughs> but we're not going to do that today. So he takes the uh, he takes the red pill, and they have to. This is I thought this was so cool. They have to turn off his signal so that when the the machines will register him as something that is dead and they can pick him up after they jettison him. Right. But first they have to like I don't know, I just thought that whole sequence was so cool in retrospect. Oh yeah. Yeah, I never realized yeah. that's what they were doing the, initially. Like I thought, oh, they just hacked it to release oh, him somehow. But then, yeah, over the years, watching it so many times, it's like, oh, they're, they're kind of they're registering him as dead. That's why the machines are like, oh, flush him, <laughs> get rid of him. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The practicality of that is really cool. Um, love the mirror thing, which again comes back in a huge <laughs> way in Resurrections. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I pictured thirteen-year-old Scott getting to that point in the movies and be like, "Oh, here we go, the mirror." Yeah, oh, yeah. here it is, the fucking mirror. <laughs> I've had enough of this already. <laughs> and it, I don't know when we get to the real world and he's in a pod with other pods. As far as the eye can see, I'm like, wow, like the confidence again of like the audience just accepts this at this point. Yeah. This is so cool, but I cannot understate. I almost went to the um, when they re-released the movie in IMAX just before Resurrections came out. I almost went. Um, I think it had sold out by the time I was like, you know what? I am going to go. And then, <laughs> and then they were like, actually, no, you're not. Um, but uh, I cannot overstate how fucking cool this looks on the oh, big screen. Yeah. Um, I can imagine of him looking over the edge and just seeing all of those batteries. It is bananas cool. Um, I'm dying to see this movie in 35 millimeter also, because another thing we haven't talked about is the fact that they, they um, changed the, uh, the color, the coloring of the movie between its initial release and the sequels. Um, Initially it was had more of like a blue tone to everything. And then they changed it to green to match the sequels when they were like, Oh, green is the, I'm so glad you said that because Um, I remembered it being a bit more blue and I thought I was going crazy. 
No, no, they definitely changed it in in post. Like between it coming out initially coming out on DVD, and then I think there was like a re-release that wasn't the clamshell thing anymore. The the cardboard mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. They did a re-release around the time that Reloaded came out, and that's when they recolored it and made everything ah. green. Um, but initially, it was not like because no, the cover hashtag yeah. released the yeah because yeah. so, the cover's blue. The for cover's sure. blue, right? Yeah, yeah right, that, like, right. Yeah, no. So it blew my mind a little bit. Um, I'm dying to see a 35 millimeter print because I would love to see that color scheme of it again um, as like this, you know, self-contained movie that it was originally. Um, But yeah. I'm glad I still have my uh, blue clamshell DVD at home. Yeah, yeah. You can still watch the original coloring (laughs) um, of it. Uh, So they they pick up Neo and Neo is on the 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 deck of the Nebuchadnezzar. we get that great line of like, why do my eyes hurt? Because you've never used them before. Oh, amazing. God. So good. And we learn that it is actually the year 2199. And that uh, for some reason. Or is it, Nick? Right. I can't. Again, we can't wait to get into the sequels. <laughs> <laughs> or the Animatrix for that matter. <laughs> and um, and yeah, so it's like the far future. And we get. I'm not shitting you. This is the the. This movie runs like a Swiss watch. It's super. It, it flies by. We get another info dump, <laughs> mm-hmm. but somehow we're not sat here bored. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think whether it's the the device of the construct, where like you know when they're sitting on the chair, but surrounding them is like you know the battered remains of Earth, mm-hmm. and uh, really effectively, Morpheus is like, look, we don't have a lot of information left. But what we do know is at some point in the 21st century, we were all united in joy, which for bullshit. <laughs> it might be coming. It might at, be coming. Hold on. That's true. <laughs> that's true, John. I actually was like, oh, that'd be cool if something happened. And we were like, <laughs> we're all, all right. <sighs> and so we create artificial intelligence. And after a while, that intelligence and humanity becomes antagonistic towards one another. We don't know who fired the first shot, but eventually mankind took to destroying the sun or like eradicating the Earth's surface to make our access to the sun null because right. you, machines were solar powered, right? Is that right. close, Scott? Yes, that's exactly right. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. They basically they, they set off enough bombs to like poison the sky to block the sun so that they couldn't be powered by solar energy anymore. Um, but uh, LOL, jokes on humanity because they just turned us all into fucking batteries. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, okay, on the surface of it, that makes sense. Oh, they run on the sun. Get rid of the sun. Hang on. We, as human beings and the planet, need the sun. It's kind of a stupid thing. It's, it's going to backfire no matter what, even if you don't get turned into batteries. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of my, it's, it's one of my like, <laughs> stupid quibbles with the sequels is that like there's a lot of tan people in zion and i'm like i don't know how that's possible guys <laughs> everyone would look like morlocks yeah, yeah. yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is ironic this is one of the hottest casts ever assembled but like it knows the whole logic of the movie <laughs> yes. make them all in the real world yeah just just release the morlock cut is what we're gonna say <laughs> yeah. Hello, Neo. It's me, Naomi. But you're right, though. Everyone, everyone in this movie is just sexy. Basically, ninety nine percent of the cut. Yes, 
down down the line. Uh, and yeah, we meet the crew of the Nebuchadnezzar. We meet uh, Dozer and his brother Tank. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dozer being the operator, Tank being the pilot of the ship, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or is it? No, it's the reverse. Okay, yeah, the Dozer's the pilot. Dozer's the pilot. Tank is the tank's is the, the operator. Yeah, the operator. Yeah. When I was a kid, I thought operator had the coolest job. Yeah. Yeah. Tank Tank is fun too. The actor who plays him, he doesn't come back in the sequels because I guess he wanted too much money or something. Um, and then there's that whole like, oh, difficult to work uh, with. But I've learned not to trust that. And so, like, who the fuck knows what that actually means? Yeah, because people probably um, say that about me. It's like, no, I just don't really like to be. I don't like <laughs> to talk to people. <laughs> Says me on podcasts, yeah. but you know what I mean. <laughs> difficult to work with. <laughs> um, yeah, so like I don't I don't know what the situation yeah. there is with this actor, uh, but I I love his performance in the scene where he first shares with Neo, where he's like telling him about Zion, and he says like his and he says like one hundred percent homegrown human, and like the way that he says it, it's just like right oh, yeah. here in the real world. He's and, so like, just, cool. He's so like um, lyrical, like he yeah. turns it into like a yeah. little song, like if the. If the war ended tonight, Zion is where the party would be at. Yeah, yeah. There's just something about I just the way that he performs that scene. It's just like I'm going for the Oscar, and I'm like, yeah. you know what? You kind of deserve it, dude. <laughs> like, let's let's be honest. And you really buy his reverence for Neo in that moment. Yes. Yeah. He's psyched. He's so excited. In yeah. general, I will just say not that the Oscars need to be any longer than they already are, but we really need a like supporting best supporting supporting actor <laughs> like like role where it's like you're not supporting like you're not like Morpheus. Right. But you're like a guy who's in like three scenes and you <laughs> kill it. And you know, you absolutely award. kill it. You just <laughs> yeah. like steal the show. Um, and then like that, they should have that extra award for those people. Um, 25 lines or less <laughs> yes i agree maybe you maybe even less than that um but yeah absolutely Ugh. and uh tank takes neo to uh where he's, he's plugged in for the first time he's in the chair and he gets combat training which is basically yeah. he just downloads <laughs> martial arts for like 10 hours yeah and i love that too because tank is just like look he's got all these discs and he's just like look i've got all these discs i'm supposed to give you but they're kind of boring so like let's start with the cool <laughs> stuff and uh do fight training and it's just like i think he needs to probably know all those things too like i hope you're gonna give those things yeah to he him can figure it out it's fine <laughs> my question with the fight training because like from our perspective right mm-hmm. neo goes in the needle goes in the back of his head and then you see his eyes flicker for like five seconds and then he snaps them open and he's like, I know Kung Fu. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, yeah, he's like a machine. He's like five. It's mm-hmm. like five hours of fight training from the perspective of us. It's instantaneous, basically. Mm-hmm. From the perspective of Neo, is he literally going through like 20 years of martial arts training? I think so. I think it's like Dragon Ball Z hyperbolic time chamber rules. That is. Oh, no, that'd be maddening. He should come out like a changed person. Yeah. Well, I suppose he does come out a changed person. But, you know, like, he should have lost his but mind. It's like, uh, have either yeah. of you ever dreamt a long period of time? Yeah. Yes. It's weird. Real weird. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you you dream a whole day and then you wake up and you're like, oh, wait. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Not, oh, no, that would be that would oh. be really horrible. I feel for him if that's the case. Yeah. That's a lot of work, oh. too. I got, the, <laughs> Just in I got the impression instantaneous for us. Maybe an hour for him. Maybe an hour, you know. I like that too. That that works. Yeah. Uh, anyway, 
Um, I also, but on the topic of the boring programs that Tank didn't want to waste time with, I take that. I choose to believe that means that in the Matrix, Neo doesn't know how to like go to the bathroom (laughs) or like use a water fountain. He doesn't know about the three seashells. Oh man, the three (laughs) seashells. Um, No, I I like the idea too of like the rest of the movie. Every time he asks a question, Morpheus is like, "What do you? Didn't you run the pro tank?" God damn it. Tank. Why doesn't he know about this? And he's like, uh, sorry, we skipped that. God damn it. Like he can't open a door. <laughs> what do I do? Yeah. What do I do? Oh, I can't open it. That's amazing. Jesus Christ. Tank. <laughs> but he can sure fight. <laughs> yeah, he can fight yeah, like in no one's business, but <laughs> so Morpheus sees I really so I like this. Morpheus sees the tank has kind of skipped a- ahead. But instead of reprimanding him, he goes with it and be like, all right, if he wants to know Kung Fu, show me. Yeah. And we get the sparring program. Yeah. Oh, here's a good question that I don't know that they've ever specifically dealt with that I can think of. So going along with the how long is he learning this stuff, like in his mind, if he is learning it in real time, in his mind. Wouldn't he be able to know Kung Fu in the real world? But none of them seem to know Kung Fu in the real world, only in the Matrix. Uh, so that's yeah. an interesting wrinkle. It's like right? just, just your avatar does. Yeah. So like when he actually snaps his eyes open and he's like, I know Kung Fu. I have to ask, do you? <laughs> or do you just know in the Matrix? Like if you got up out of that chair and tried to fight somebody, would you know Kung Fu? I don't or do so. you only know it in the Matrix? Uh. That's actually a really good yeah. question because it, it blurs that yeah. line a lot, though. Again, you're going to get to it as you, as you get into the sequels, especially the, th- especially the third one. He starts yeah. being able to do certain things in the real world, and that seems like a surprise. Like, oh, right. you shouldn't be able that's to do that. That's what makes him the one. Yeah. 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 Um, Interesting. But yeah, it's kind of, I guess, it's like the equivalent of like, oh, me and this person are friends. And by friends, I mean we're, we follow each other on Twitter. <laughs> <We're> like, <laughs> yes. Right. You don't know LeVar Burton. LeVar Burton follows me on Twitter. <laughs> uh, I mean, what is there to say about the the sparring match between Morpheus and Neo? It's it's thrilling. They're both in the hands of a master, Yun Wu Ping. There's so many moments of performance and character that they both communicate through fighting. Like, we get Keanu, we get Neo doing, like, Bruce Lee a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Like, getting... Mm-hmm. I really like how we're seeing Neo become more cocky and confident in the Matrix, whereas in the real in the Matrix, he was in the controlled Matrix. He was very awkward and meek and controlled. Yeah. We're yeah. seeing him start to have fun and like be himself. More. Yeah, they, he's being right. himself. It's his true personality coming out a little bit. Finally, after all these right. years. For sure. It's like how people find themselves more online. And being I, able to be like a better, you know, more version yeah, of yeah, themselves. that's me. <laughs> I love, I love this scene, and I love all of the scenes with Morpheus and Neo. That being said, I do wish at least half of them were done with Trinity instead, because I think that if this movie has a weak link, it's that the love story between Neo and Trinity. I don't think their chemistry builds the way that I want it to. Mm. It's one of the reasons why I love Resurrection so much is because it's like the first time that I truly believe that these two characters are in love. 
Um, I, I wish that there was a little bit more of them and the buildup of their relationship. And I mean, I know that part of it is that Trinity is in denial, but then the sequels don't even really, they like really backburn Trinity. Um, yeah, it kind of just goes, like Oh yeah, that, that's not... together now. And you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, I would, I wish I could see more of their relationship sort of growing and stewing a little bit more by maybe switching out Morpheus for Trinity in a few of these training sequences. Oh, that's a really right. cool idea. Yeah, I I agree, like, but then we miss out on Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and that's and yeah, exactly. No, exactly, and that's the thing. That's why I'm like kind of mixed on it because it's like they rule as is, but then mm-hmm. at the same time, I wish that that kiss meant more to me when it happens mm-hmm. every time. Because then, after the sparring program, we immediately get um, the jumping program, right? Which is again right. taught by Morpheus, right? That should be taught by that should be taught by her, I think, because we saw her jump. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Right? We don't need to. We don't need to have Morpheus jump. We saw Trinity do it. Trinity to be like, yeah, I mean, I could teach you this one, but Trinity's the real jumper of the crew, so I we're do gonna a have Trinity every day. teach you. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, and you just have Trinity do it, and then it's like it's a thing where she's like mixed on it because she's like, I want him to do it, but at the same time, if he does it then he might be the one, and if he's the one, then I'm going to fall in love with him, and then all of this other shit could happen, mm-hmm. right? And, like, I would love to see more of that going on in that scene. For sure. Kind of a Shang Mulan thing. Yeah. Oh, now I'm sad yeah. that wasn't the case. Because, yeah, it doesn't really... Doesn't, does Morpheus have much to do in particular in this scene? He doesn't have any cool lines, in, like, specifically, does he? So, yeah. Well, I just feel like he we uh, he's already had so much time with Morpheus. Yeah. Morpheus is, you know, it'd be cool to kind of share that Morpheus is the explainer, mentor, master, splinter, but Trinity is like your sparring coach. Mm. Your... Yeah. 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 Because he has the line, free your mind, right? Mm-hmm. But I th- almost think that would work better if he was just watching the program over Tank's shoulder. Free and your it's like mind. Whispering it, whispering it to himself. Ooh. You know, where yeah. he's just like, free your mind. Sweep and the Neo, <laughs> And Neo's like trying to, yeah, right. Yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, I think it's a missed opportunity to not use Trinity a little bit more uh, in some of these scenes. Reminds a lot of your favorite Marvel movie, Ant-Man, Scott. Uh-huh. Where you get a lot of, you know, the, the love interest sparring and training each other. Uh-huh. And it really works really well yeah. there, mm-hmm. I think. So. Um, then we meet, uh, we, we, we meet the woman in the red dress. Uh, we sure do. We are taught something pretty provocative about the Matrix that I think goes unnoticed, which is like, "Hey, Neo, look around. Look at that guy. He's a banker. Look at that woman. She's, you know, going to work. They're all your enemy because they can be turned and they can be become an agent, right? So anybody that gets mowed down or run past or knocked over, they kind of don't matter because they're kind of the enemy." Yeah. I find that fascinating, it's... though. That's much more interesting to me as a concept than just a black and white thing. Because mm-hmm. it's it's a tough decision to make. Like, they don't want to kill them. But they haven't really got a yeah. choice in a lot of matters. It's like, well, we kind of have right. to in order to then live and be able to free further people. Because they're not going right. to free themselves. I just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I just wish that Neo reckoned with that a little bit more of just like, wait, but but you said that if we die in the or are hurt in the Matrix, we die IRL. So 
I'm killing these people. And then him being like, and then having Morpheus actually reckon yeah. with that a little bit more. Be like, yeah, it sucks. Yes, yeah. you are. And that sucks. And I yeah. wish we didn't have to do that. But, you know, it's all it, fair, et cetera, et cetera. Even as a little kid, it kind of, it, it, it tinged every shootout, even the lobby shootout. Yeah. You know, like, wow, these like random like mall cops or security guards are all real people yeah. that are just getting obliterated. And then presumably their pods are just getting emptied. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then fed to babies. But that's their yes. future anyway, yeah. is the way they see it. It's like, well, yeah. they're already dead. <laughs> so Yeah. Right. Which kind of goes back to that, like, yeah, like, look at what, look at the life that was just given to them. Yeah. Yeah. Of Like, they're already seen as non-entities to the machines. Right. They're just blue pills. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's... Jeez. Um, it's it it is but it's it's horrifying in mm-hmm. it, from a perspective from that perspective and i wish that we maybe that's dealt with that a li- yeah i think i just wish we dealt with that a little bit more um because i think that it would have helped with the whole concept of like all of these idiots who are like life is a, like the world's a simulation and all of that and it's like I think if if they dealt a little bit more with the real ramifications of what they're doing and that it's not all just like a game and a simulation, um, I feel like it would have, I don't know, maybe helped yeah. a little bit more sure. with that aspect of things. Yeah. Um, one, one thing to note about this particular scene, though, is that because it is a program and not the Matrix itself, right? He thinks he's in the Matrix until Morpheus pauses everything. Um they purposefully cast all of these extras as uh, twins and triplets. <laughs> and so everyone is doubled at minimum, doubled or tripled, as if to say, like, well, we need this program to work, but, like, we're just going to, like, copy and paste some <laughs> some design, character designs. That's so cool. Well, yeah. They haven't Love got the that. time. They haven't got the processing power. They're working with what they've got, right. you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, uh, man, it's like when you see something animated and you're like, oh, there's like three motions going on right now, but like 100 people are doing them. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, later that night, uh, Neo pays a visit to Cypher as he is uh, staring at the code. And we get a really cool, uh, I don't know, just a really cool lingering scene between Keanu and Joey Pants where mm-hmm. we we kind of see Cypher's weariness. Um, mm-hmm. I love the moment of pity. Where it's like, oh wait, oh you Morpheus told you what the plan is, so you're and you buy it. You're just you're accepting it. Okay, cool. Good luck with that, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's there's like there's multiple things going on where it's like once again, you know, Joey Pants. He was getting ready to go into the Matrix to meet with the agent. Mm. Mm-hmm. To eat, meet with Agent Smith. And so when Neo comes up behind him, he jump scares because he's like, he he's afraid he's about to get caught. But then yeah. he sees that it's Neo and he's like, oh, he doesn't have any idea what the fuck's going on. So this <laughs> yeah, he is doesn't fine. get any. Uh, like, yeah, he doesn't know that I'm about to load myself into the Matrix. He can't tell that that's what mm-hmm. I'm about to do. If anyone else had walked up, they'd take one look at the Matrix code and be like, are you about to? Jack in? What's, what are you why are you doing? at a, Why are you at a steakhouse? Why is there an agent there? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, they can totally. probably see yeah. that, actually, yeah. Because they can read the code. Yeah, like, exactly. It's almost like they're seeing what it represents, aren't they? So, yeah. Blonde, brunette, yeah. redhead. Right, right. Um, but uh, there, There's all kinds of biblical stuff here, I think, of, like, you know, Cypher sure. being kind of the Judas. Of course. Um, and I think it's a credit to Joey Pants, but, like, as despicable a character as Cypher is and could be, there is something kind of really compelling about yeah. him. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
especially now in 2022, um, I think a lot more people would share his mindset of like, why don't, why not just stay plugged in? Yeah. That's yeah. why he's an interesting yeah, character and it's... because like, he's not just a villain. He's not like, oh, I, right. I, I, you know, I'm doing this for fame and glory. It's like, I know he does ask for those things essentially, but he's, <laughs> he's doing it because he's miserable and he was happier yeah. before. Like he had, he had things, he had a life. What does he have now? It's like, you feel sorry for him. Yeah. It's a, it's a grass isn't always greener situation where it's like he knew something was off with the Matrix. And he's like, well, the other, if I get out of this hell, it's got to be better on the other side. Yeah. And then he gets to the other side. And he's like, oh, shit, it is the opposite of better. Yeah. And I think um, you could look at this from a lot of different ways. I mean, just the ways that I can relate to you personally, I think live, choosing to live a certain kind of life. Sometimes I wonder, like, oh, was it easier before I tried bettering myself yeah. or reflecting on existence or being philosophical was i should i just be what i perceive the masses to be which is just like you know waking up going to bed going to work not asking any questions yeah right that's the thing because right. yeah it, it, it's tougher for him now he's literally now fighting a war did he want any part of that really did he fully understand right. that yeah uh, oh my god or you know to be any kind of other in our society is to kind of be like, well, I didn't ask to be an advocate or fight for my freedoms, but I have to. And now I'm getting phone calls and bullied and like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I, and sometimes, you know, the human aspect is like, God, would it be easier just to not do this? Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. He says, which is, you know, to me, this is like one of the more one. Of, I mean, you know, like you said, Nick, this is an oops all bangers of a movie. <laughs> yeah. But this is such an iconic scene. Um, you know, it's it's the scene that that, you know, I, I look at and I'm just like, do I do I want a steak? And, you know, like I'm like, <laughs> I'm like pescatarian and I'm like looking at this thing and I'm like, man, that does look good. Um, oh, it's the way he's talking about you know, it as like, well. Like the, the, the words yeah. he's using. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm a vegetarian. So I Yeah, mean, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Great eating uh, acting. for yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. Really good eating acting. I mean, this is this is arguably Joey Pants's like most iconic role. Um, I would yeah. say, and uh, yeah, I mean, he is just knocking it out of the park in this, and he is unlike any other character I think in the franchise. Mm. Period, up until like maybe Smith in uh, Resurrections. You know, I I, I, think I see Smith what you mean. Resurrection is like it has like a lot of charisma, but There's like a snarkiness. generally speaking, yeah. Totally, totally. Resurrections um, is missing a Joey, though. Should have got him yeah, back somehow. Sure. Yeah. True. But <laughs> you're right. Everyone in everyone in this universe is so earnest. And, and stoic. And stoic that to have a, hey, how's it going? It's me. I'm Cypher. You're like, oh, I like that guy. Yeah. yeah, I like Yeah, I like him. Oh, he's a bad guy? Well, <laughs> I, that makes sense. Can't, can't hate him, I guess. <laughs> no, it's a good point, actually, that uh, the, the heroes, we're saying Morpheus is super cool, and he is, he is. But, I mean, as the series goes on a little bit, he does lose a bit of that shine because you see more of him in the real world. And there's not enough fun-loving people right. in the real world. I'm not saying make this like a Marvel movie with loads of jokes. But, you know, mm. you need one or two light-hearted characters. So he, he fits the bill perfectly. He's great. Maybe, we need one per film. Get one in each. Right. I definitely think Tank also fills yeah. that role of like... Or 
uh, in our next scene, the character Mouse, that uh, you know, programmed Lady in Red, and also uh, we have his scene about Tasty Wheat. And as a kid, this scene drove me crazy because I thought Tasty Wheat was like a real brand. I was going to ask, is it a thing? Because mm-hmm. we don't have it here. But I was like, oh, maybe it's an American thing. Yeah, is it not? I think it's a, I think it's like Stay Puft Marshmallow, oh, where it was 100% yeah. created for the... Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's upset me. I um, assumed it was a thing. <laughs> it sounds good, though. <laughs> it, sounds like a, it sounds like a real cereal, for but sure. But what does it taste like? Um, we don't know. Yeah. Chicken, probably. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, and it's interesting, too, because I always assumed it must have been it must be like a warm cereal, like a yeah. hot cereal, like a cream of wheat mm-hmm. kind of thing because of what they're eating. The gloop. Like, yeah. I don't know why gloop would taste like cold cereal because cold cereal cereal is like crunchy and, right. you know, yeah, totally like different texture. Like oatmeal, so. a cream of wheat. Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. Porridge. That's, that's, yeah. Grits. I, I picture what like I'm that. picturing that. <laughs> like over here. Obviously, we have like porridge, uh, but for kids, they have one called like ready break, which it's kind of like porridge for kids. It looks like this. It's oh. it's less like lumpy because kids are a bit put off by the texture, you know, like, oh, what the hell's that? So this is a bit more palatable for children. Yeah. Uh, I got that kind of this vibe. Never, uh, this never looked bad to me, I'll be honest, yeah. but apparently it tastes horrible. <laughs> so... They jack in. It's the coolest thing that ever happened. Uh, they, they, they all. They're, it's time to go see the Oracle. I, I really like this little moment because it's like the one part where you get to see like the whole crew in their Matrix personas. Mm. Uh, you get to see like Apoc and Switch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mouse looks ridiculous. <laughs> I love that about oh, him. Man, that he thinks he ever... like, oh, in the Matrix, I... I'm, I'm going to be cool. It's like, no, you're still not cool. <laughs> I. I... I cannot believe that's what his internalized version of himself looks like. It's great, though, because it's it's such a, a look that someone like that would come up with thinking, this is badass. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's great. I almost don't recognize him, you know. Um, so they go to see the Oracle. Uh, Scott, is there was there any casting information on the Oracle? Was there ever any um, for Alfred there, I no, there wasn't anyone else. Um, you know, she is uh she's just so good in this. I mean, I mean just I like thought... Lawrence Fishburne and Hugo Weaving, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and it, it is interesting because like Hugo Weaving all of the other agents in this movie are not good. Um, <laughs> They're not, and, no. and no, and I think it's just because they're just random Australian dudes who like are really struggling with the American accent and it's it's tough for them to act through that mm. accent, right? Um I'm sure they're fine normally. But uh the uh, but but yeah, but Agent Smith is just he's just like he's he's such a better actor than the other agents. <laughs> um and yeah, and I think she's just like somebody that they they I think they just threw a large net and just like of unknown, you know, elderly black oh, actresses. Oh, was Alfre and... Woodard? I, I, I wasn't. I'm not aware of like if she had like a career before the Matrix. She was like one of those actresses that had been like around. Gloria for a while. Foster. Gloria Foster. Okay, I'm getting my oracles mixed up. Yeah, I think she's. I think she's mostly like a stage actress. Uh, okay. Um, typically, but uh, uh, yeah, she had done like a few films. Um, but not. She was mostly, I think, acting a lot in uh, black exploitation films in like the 60s and Ooh. 70s. 
Um, that was a large thing, but then like also a ton of um, uh, of uh, plays and uh, stage stuff. And she starred in the Mod Squad back in like the late sixties, early seventies. Um, I'm gonna have to see oh, some of these TV because stuff. it's a, that's such a different vibe to what you get from her here. Because in this, it's a bit like the the mm-hmm. counterpoint to Morpheus. She's like a motherly figure she's just a lovely sweet woman that you just you instantly yeah. are like oh yeah <laughs> the thing that ki- that that you can tell she's a stage actor is because of all the business there's so mm. much business <laughs> she's yeah. doing so much business while she she's like okay i've got to say all this weird stuff so i'm gonna be baking and i'm gonna be <laughs> yeah. smoking and i'm gonna be walking her. like it's just like all of this business yeah. which is a very like stage actor thing could, to do and it and yeah, you're both right. And it and it brings such a warmth where she it seems like she's like a, a grandmother puttering around the yeah. kitchen. Yeah. And this could be a very cold scene, but it is filled with such warmth and humanity and humor without there being jokes. Mm-hmm. Uh like when Keanu kicks over the the vase and like when she says, like, Oh, you're cute, you're cuter than I thought you would be, like, you buy yeah. it. Of, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, he is kind of cute. He's just like doesn't really know where to stand and like but he's like Jesus, so it's like the decay. That's what's weird. perfect about this film, yeah. though. Is like it does have humorous elements, but it doesn't. It doesn't like make them take center but, stage. It's not like here's a joke. Yeah, you you compared it to <laughs> yeah, like you brought up Marvel earlier, and how sometimes it's like okay, cue for a joke. One of them say something funny. Okay, cool. Yeah, back to the movie. Yeah, they avoid yeah. that. Luckily, uh, not that that. Yeah, I mean that works for Marvel, but unfortunately, other movies yeah. are now copying it, and it doesn't work for everything. <laughs> right. And something that I think I find really fascinating, rewatching the movie again and again, is is the idea of you know Oracle tells Neo like, "Sorry, kiddo, you're not the one. Maybe in the next life." Yeah. And it's a throwaway. She throws the line away, but it like it's like the most important line in the whole movie. Yeah, of like you have to die and come out of the other end in order to become the person that you need to be or want to be. Yeah, um, <sighs> so good. Yeah, it really holds up on re- and like the idea of like Morpheus is going to sacrifice himself in order to make all this happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I pretty sure I remember really being that really broke my heart the first time I watched this movie because I I believed her yeah and I and like like Neo I felt really bad for Morpheus yeah because you're just like you're like oh you idiot <laughs> <laughs> you're doing this for nothing and Morpheus is relying <laughs> on this being correct like it's his entire reputation basically his whole life mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah like her, she told him you're going to be the one to find the one. That's a lot of pressure because every person you meet from that point on, you'll be like, maybe it's that guy. (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) Definitely not Cypher. (laughs) Well, he probably thought it was Cypher for a while because you would think that, wouldn't you? Who knows? It's too much pressure. You've got to find them naturally, I think. They just have to fall into your lap and you're like, hang on a minute. And then, incredibly, we might have the, the scene with the biggest impact on not even pop culture but just consciousness the way we interact with reality neo sees a cat yes and gets deja vu and everyone freaks out and trinity explains to neo deja vu means that there's been a glitch in the matrix it means that they've changed something right a glitch in the matrix that's the name of the Uh, documentary oh great boom (laughs) and like everyone still i mean like i hear that once a week 
um, three times a week if I'm on Twitter of like, oh, the simulation's breaking. Yeah. Like, I say it. Oh, if they change. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it happens to me. I think, you know, like sometimes like, you know, I remember when I was living with Scott, we'd be like sitting and talking and I'm like, wait, has this happened before? Have we had this conversation before? Oh, shit. Is it a simulation? Am I wrong? You're, we're all fake. You're the only real person here. Yeah. Um, but no, it means that the, the agents have taken out all of the windows in the building and they've been trapped. And um, the, the agents take out Mouse and uh, they try to escape through the walls and Cypher, quote, accidentally coughs mm. or sneezes and uh, gets them all caught. And Morpheus makes the choice to sacrifice himself. Okay, one of the things I think that is so fucking cool about this movie and worked like gangbusters the first time I watched it is setting up like you do not fight an agent. Yeah. Yeah. Because it feels like a big deal the first time Morpheus like sacrifices himself and jumps in. So it's like wailing on one. No, it does really yeah. well with that. Um, the agents genuinely feel like a threat. Like you, you think, oh, if they meet someone, one of our characters, they're going to kill them. Um, yeah. Like even like anytime there is a fight, it tends to be we're fighting them so we can get away. We're not trying to kill the agent. You can't. <laughs> we're just trying to escape. Right. And that that's it's almost like Jason. Yeah, it, it, it's very like that. And that is so much more terrifying than like oh, there's millions of them, but they're easy to kill. It's like ah, oh, well, yeah, who cares? Right. There's like three the whole movie, and it's the same three. Yeah. yeah. Um. So we get the scene where uh, Cipher. Uh, explains his evil plan to Trinity and kills uh, Switch and Apoc, kills Dozer, and uh, it's it's a bummer. It's a bummer because it seemed like a good like a good yeah. crew. Oh, it breaks my heart every time I see it. <laughs> Not like this. Yeah. Not like this. Oh, uh, she kind of gets almost like a southern accent there at the very end. Yeah, I I'm like, wait, did she have that the whole time? She oh, well, she barely dead. speaks okay. to be fair. So maybe uh, for sure. I, I'm in love with her though. I, I, that really that gets to me every time. I'm like, no, I need more of you. Don't go. Yeah, yeah. Well, Matrix is really good at casting characters and actors that don't say a lot, but they leave a very strong visual yeah. impression. What a look! It's almost a lot like Star Wars, mm. where like your favorite character has like two lines and like five minutes of screen time. Yeah, I, most of the characters I would list as my favorites are probably like that guy in the background of this scene in Star Wars. You're like, yeah, he's amazing. <laughs> yeah. He's the best. Um, but Tank is alive, uh, which yeah, that's great. I mean, you know, I, I remember like the first time watching it. You know, it was like, whoa, he's alive. Uh, takes out Cipher. And uh, the crew managed to escape, but Morpheus has been captured by the agents. <sighs> mm-hmm. And then uh, something I didn't really get the first time I watched it, but rewatching this time is that they're like they're hacking into Morpheus's mind. Oh, Be- because oh, every nice. every captain of a ship at, at Zion has access codes to the Zion mainframe. Oh, yeah. right. Like Niobe has them. Bugs has them in Matrix Resurrections. And so that's what they're trying to get to. And that's why Morpheus is so, like, you know, eyes bogged and sweating because, like, they're literally hacking his brain. Oh, to, like, delete the codes. Uh, yeah. <sighs> okay. I never really understood what was going on there. I just assumed <laughs> something bad was happening. I don't oh, 100%. Know. Me too. <laughs> it works. Anyway, you, you know they're doing something. Mm-hmm. Something bad. Yeah. <laughs> something bad. Yeah. And then uh, Neo 
makes the choice of being like, you know, no, fuck this. Cause like, they're going to, they're going to unplug him. Cause like, well, the agents can't get the Zion mainframe codes. Right. So tanks getting ready to unplug him. And then Neo's like, no, like I know I'm not the one, but I can still make a change. I can still save this guy. Cause like you need him more than me. Yeah. Like, like he's your leader. And it's just like really cool. This is such a, a, a great hero's journey. And Neo is so, but he's never had the, he hasn't had any of the, Things that stereotypically have to happen in a movie about a character like this. Mm-hmm. He hasn't been like, no, I don't want it. Fuck you. Yeah, he you does know? want like it, if stuff. anything. He's like, yeah, that'd, that'd be great if I was the one. Oh, I'm not the one. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's more of like, um, instead of an internalized hero's journey, it's this sort of like external thing of of he doesn't have a moment of, of like like a dark, yeah. you know. Night uh, of the soul. Night of the Soul, or like, or like the moment where, like you said, where he like turns away from it. It's more of just like, you know, uh, the 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 Oracle being like, "You're not the one." So he's not turning away from the uh, the prospect of being mm. the one, but he's literally told that he's yeah. not the one, and he's and like, "Oh, okay, so I must not be." <laughs> you you seem to know what you're talking about, <laughs> and then you know, the Dark Night of the Soul isn't isn't it isn't him and it's like overcome through like the reality of Trinity loving him later on. Right. Right. And it's, it's like literally just like, I'm doing this. I'm going to sacrifice myself to get him out of here and save the day. And it's because of his dark night of the soul that he overcomes Mm. it and becomes the one. It's a very like weird external hero's journey. Yeah. I dig it. I don't think it's used enough. No. And I mean, and then the sequels are just like a deconstruction of the hero's journey, but we'll, we'll get to <laughs> that. I think the sure. first time I saw <laughs> but... this, like, because obviously I, I was young, I was a bit stupid. I thought, oh, okay, what it's going to be is Morpheus is actually the one and has been all along. And in his mission to recruit all these people, that's helping him on his way to becoming what he needs to be. Oh, wow. But, that's uh, cool. Of course, yeah. that was proven completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a cool twist, though. Yeah, you could you could do that. I thought it's like, well, they, they've Morpheus lied to Morpheus. Like, no, you're not the one. In order to facilitate his growth, you know? right? Make him more yeah. selfless. Um, and then we get you know the coolest loading up, getting ready scene ever put to film. Or, <laughs> uh, oh man, yeah, this is. I remember locking in watching this for the first time. I'm like, oh, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's honestly, um, like, I get why there's not a scene like this in the sequels. Um, mm-hmm. I think, one, because the Wachowskis don't like to repeat themselves uh, and and had n- zero desire to do the same mm-hmm. thing again with the sequels. But then also, even if there had been studio pressure originally to do another scene similar to this in the sequel, I don't think they would. I, I think the studio post Columbine would be like, no, 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 don't do, don't do a scene it's, like that. Uh, it kind of goes back to what you said about this being such a bittersweet movie to watch now. Yeah, is our relationship with guns has changed so much as a country. That yeah. es- fun escapist flights of fancy scenes in 99 are now like, you know, just different to watch in America now or the world, maybe. Right. Um, unfortunately. Right. Well, it's a yeah. tough one for me to comment yeah. on being uh, being English. And we don't we don't really have access to these things. So it's always, always strange to me in any right. movie. I'm like, whoa, whoa, this is a foreign concept. Yeah. 
It's about hard fuzz. Yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> Literally, the only people with so guns is basically that. farmers. Yeah. <laughs> One of their mums packing around here. <laughs> and then we get a really cool scene again. Oops, all bangers of uh, Smith. Is like he tells the other agents, "Like leave us." And you're like, "Oh shit! Is he supposed to want stuff like that?" Right. Like he's a br- and the other agents reacting to it are really cool too. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah, leave us. What do you? What do you? What? <laughs> you, we're, we're not individual people. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Why do you want to be alone with? That's him? what's fascinating. And, and you yeah, know, he, oh, there's something, yeah. something's going on with this character now. What? What's his deal? Why yeah. would? Why would he want that? He's a machine program. <sighs> he just wants to achieve his goal, right? Mm. I can't wait to talk about this with the sequels. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. But so he he gets that great monologue where he's like, you know, I've been thinking. Which again is like, oh, he like <laughs> <laughs> he like stews. He yeah, so he's like a he's like a person. Yeah. This is what's confusing. So they live like normal people. Then I guess he must have had time to sit in his apartment thinking about this, or like doing the job day after day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so he's like, you know, like they say you guys are classified as mammals, but you're not because mammals eventually find equilibrium with their environment and you don't humanity. You just take and you drain and you move like you're a virus. Right. You're you're a disease. kind of right. (laughs) Which is so fascinating considering what he becomes. Uh, Right. Oh, my God. Yeah. Absolutely. He is. He is a literal virus in the sequels. He is the zero to. Uh, to to Neo's yeah, one, yeah. Um, if we're talking about a binary code, yeah, um, he, and God. He, be- he becomes the thing that he hates of us so much. He becomes the uh, the program equivalent to Neo. Um, yeah, wow, God, you, can't wait to talk oh, about God, I can't you either wait to die talk. a hero or you live long enough to become the virus you hate. Right? Yeah, and then every living thing in the Matrix. <laughs> and so uh, then we get the lobby shootout. It it rips. It sure does. This is another bit that's been parodied a lot, and I don't care. It still works. I think it's almost now long enough that the parodies have even faded from Mm. our memory, you know? Yeah. Where, like, I mean, yeah, like him, like, picking up the gun (laughs) mid-somersault or whatever. And it's just I want to know what this building is. (laughs) Yeah. Like, what is this skyscraper? Like, in the Matrix, like, what is it? Like, what do these security guards think that they're guarding? Right. I don't know. It, it's not like a bank, so I don't know. What what do they think it is? It's just like yeah. an office space. Like, yeah. Like, then again, did it exist before? Or has Smith kind of right. created it five minutes ago? Because they can manipulate the world, yeah. can't they? And these guards just have 35 years of like fake memories, but they were actually just made like Maybe. two minutes ago. Yeah. Very true. Very true. I love him just being like, do you have anything metal? And then he just like <laughs> opens his coat and the guy's reaction of like, holy shit. It's quite a realistic <laughs> reaction. Isn't it? That's what I would do. Like, oh, whoa. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. And um, really also like, you know, kind of going back to Neo and Trinity as protagonists or as action heroes is like they don't. Neo's only line in the whole shootout is after the shootout when they're in the elevator and he goes, there is no spoon to himself. Like no yeah. quips, right. no Indiana Jonesy and like, Oh boy, I almost, that was a close one. Like just yeah. clears the room. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, this is one of those moments where I again, if if they had spent more time on Neo and Trinity's relationship, you could have shot this in a way of like the two of them working together in mm. tandem as a romantic scene in a way still badass as hell Mm -hmm. but i think there's a way that you could have shot this where they're like supporting each other a lot more than they are that would be really cool like they can start off like back to back and then yeah they Mm -hmm. can sort of be almost dancing around each other as they're shooting right fighting yeah right that almost feels more like resurrections era Mm. For sure. You know what I mean? It's so cool sure. to see. Like, I bet if she was to go, if she were to go back and remaster the movies in some way, like mm-hmm. that probably would happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so interesting to see how that's just not where they were, where their lens was at. They were still in like, we're in our early 20s yeah. and we're going to guns and anime and, you know, we're going to rock everybody's shit. Here yeah. we go. Shop <laughs> in, everybody. And it worked. That's, it's, and it worked. Yeah. Oh and yeah, it did. So they shoot up, they shoot their way up to the elevator. They get to the roof, and this is cool. The roof is is cool because they actually are kind of working together more as a team. Um, I love the moment. It's it's so Keanu. He's so undersold, so underselling it. But when he's like Trinity, help! Like when he's out of ammo. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's it, good. He's reacting like a person. He's not because like yeah, Will Smith would have like milked that for all it was right. worth. You know. Right. And we would have been here saying how much we hate that bit. <laughs> yeah. Right? Oh god, he just hams. I I uh I, I guess we should also like just mention the bullet time thing because we've Please. been talking around it, but like the concept of it, the fact that it had to be invented for this movie, the the Wachowskis had this concept of bullet time in their mind and they would describe it to people and everyone would be like, You can't do that. You would have to put a camera on a rocket that shoots around the room and there's no way to control (laughs) that or take enough of like images to like do what you're talking about. That is insane. Um, And they went to every special effects house in town describing what they wanted. And every special effects was like, that's (laughs) insane. You how the hell do you do that until they went to this one guy who is this little tiny special effects thing. And they described what they wanted to do. And they're like, you're our last shot at this. Do you have any idea how we could accomplish this? And he's like, well, motion pictures are just a series of frames. So theoretically, if you set up a series of still cameras in a circle around the, the piece of material that you're wanting to film, and you took, you set up a rig that took, still photos in order all the way down, you would be able to take those still photos, put them, put them into um, a 35 millimeter film. And then you would be able to like do what you're talking about, but you would have to build it out of still photos. And he showed them a design just like right there (laughs) in the meeting. This is what the rig would have to look like. And then also, of course, we would have to build the background in CGI, so we would have to remodel everything in CGI. So we would shoot this on a green screen and then a CGI plate that we could move around in 3D space, and then that's how you would do it. And then that's how the special, this tiny special effects house ended up that's getting amazing. the job on The Matrix because they invented bullet time. I remember seeing a documentary back in the day about them inventing the like the camera rig thing. And it was amazing to me. I couldn't wrap my yeah. head around it at all. I was just like, what are they doing? What? 
Yeah. It's yeah. it's brilliant and it yeah, it speaks to the best of cinema, which is like it's like a, a combo pack of like artistic inspiration and good old fashioned like engineering yeah. and practical like knowing how lights and sounds and images work. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I remember thinking like wow, like when's it when's the next innovation going to be? Like mm-hmm. can we still feel the way that we did when we saw Bullet Time for the first time? I mean, I'm tempted to say no. You can, and it was a little movie called The Polar <laughs> Express. Right. We all remember where we were. <laughs> I wish I didn't. But, uh, no, it's fine. It's fine. No, the first time... You mean Tom Hanks played all of these characters? <laughs> he was the hobo, too? <laughs> On the surface of it, like I would say, no, that can't happen again. But of course it can. We always think it can't happen again, and something will come along. It will. Yeah. I can't it's, envisage yeah, what that is, so but nobody could envisage bullet time. Yeah. Right. It might have been Gollum, honestly. Yeah. True. Like, yeah. in, in reality, it might have been Gollum. That might have been the next thing. That was another moment where I remember being a little kid being like, what am I looking at yeah. right now? Like, what is this? Yeah. Well, it was the yeah. first time I um, remember, like, oh, a CGI character, it can be good. <laughs> it can actually right. Right. It interact be cringy. with things. Okay, this is interesting. <laughs> this is interesting. And uh, Dodge This is, you know... <laughs> And a movie full of coolest Trinity moments ever. Yeah. And you yeah. just, as a teenager, I, you're like, oh, that's the coolest, most badass thing you could possibly say in that moment. Yeah. And like throw away, you know, just like effortless. Um, I love that she kills the first yeah. agent. Mm-hmm. Well, this whole movie, I mean, obviously, in retrospect, we, we can maybe understand why. But what's fascinating about it is it's technically, you know, an action movie. But it hasn't got an ounce of machismo. You know, it's worlds apart from your, uh, as much as I love them, you know, your Arnold Schwarzenegger films and stuff. Not one bit sure. of macho silliness. Um, it, I don't know how they pull that off. It, well, I think their, their subsequent gender journey might be part of it, but um, it never, ever feels like, oh, this is for the bros <laughs> to, to get excited about. And I think that's <laughs> part of it is let Trinity get the kill. That's important. Yeah. Yeah, even she gets a cool little arc to go back to the beginning of the movie where she has to will herself off the floor because she's shaking with yeah. fear over the idea of an agent, and then boom, she like lands one. Yeah, in the see head. that again. It makes not only makes the agent scary, but it 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 means that it's an action movie with less machismo. Again, she's not like just jumping up and kicking ass. It's like, oh no, I need to, I need to really, uh, you know, I've got to will myself to do this. This is it's a mind over matter kind yeah. of thing. Almost, let's yeah. go, let's go. Well, and it's and it's not at the front of the lens as we keep talking about, but the the forefront of the lens. But it is, you know, due to the fact that she realizes she's in love mm. with Neo, and therefore he must be the one, and therefore she's gonna be yeah. fine. Because so like there that's also like it, it's this it's this thing where her love for Neo makes her stronger, right? Which is like the opposite of like a machismo kind of like yeah. story arc, you know? Um, right. And that's 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 what makes the, this movie and these movies so special. Uh, and and it's the thing that the dude bros don't realize um, that's what these movies were. No, the they just think, oh, it's right. badass right. fight, story. it's slow mo and shooting, yeah. It's like, no. I mean, I think, uh, well, you know, later on in the movie, so we get the the, the, the helicopter save. That's yeah, the coolest yeah. thing ever, where he just takes out the whole floor. Uh, 
fucking Morpheus running and he's not going to make it and they catch each other. See, even that's um, almost presented all romantically, the water. even though they're not the romantic characters. It's like, oh, it's the, it's a very true, very but, true. But like a, uh, I got yeah, you, like bro. a friendly love, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then uh, the helicopter crashes. Neo grabs the the rope, saves Trinity. That incredible like wave explosion when the helicopter yeah. hits the yeah. building. That took them. So, because that's a practical glass. That's what? not CGI. Wow, holy shit! That yeah, shot in slow motion. That took them. I guess that took them like three or four months to find the right kind of glass that would do exactly what they wanted to do. Um, and they finally found it, and then they shot it at like th- like like quarter scale. Um, so it's like this like big like person sized uh helicopter like mini helicopter like running into the side of this building shot in slow motion and there you go that's amazing that's amazing yeah (laughs) and uh that's the moment where uh tank is 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 a believer yeah again very biblical where each each disciple kind of has their individual moment of like you are the messiah i believe in you now and uh, Morpheus says something really cool to Neo, which is like, there's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. And that's the line that I thought of when we were talking about Trinity a few minutes ago is there's a difference between knowing like you're going to fall in love with the one and the one's going to save everyone and literally walking the path, which is like, I, I'm, I know, I believe it now. I love Neo. Neo's the one. Everything's going to be okay. I can shoot this agent in the head. But, but doing so is still tough. Right. Like, because it's it's still a yes. challenge. You've still got to you've got to push yourself along that path. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And like, yeah, and that that just that statement has so many levels. Be it, you know, someone's journey through discovering their own self, their own identity, their own sexuality, their own faith. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the process of becoming a believer is like knowing that there's a God, and then for some reason believing in your heart that like, oh no, there's this thing that's taking care mm-hmm. of me and everything's, I mean, and that sounds easy, but anyone who's uh, any kind of religious would probably be like, no, it's actually the hardest thing in the world. I feel like an idiot every day. <laughs> <laughs> but I still try and do it. Uh, and so, my God, uh, they, uh, they're they not out yet. The agents corner them. We get Smith and Neo's big fight. In the subway. In the subway, which is like yeah. iconic. Yeah. Um, just so much character being told. Like, yeah, kind of going back to like, yeah, you really tell the difference between Smith fighting and Neo fighting. Very different styles. Yeah. Uh, any other movie, it's like, ah, just make them all do the same thing. It'll be easier. <laughs> Get one trainer in. It weirdly, <laughs> when I think about their differing fighting styles, I my mind drifts to Casino Royale and that opening scene where the dude is like, uh, the the, oh, the, the parkour like parkouring all yeah. over the place, and then Daniel Craig just like rams yeah. through a wall, like just like runs out through a wall, yeah. and I'm like, oh, Daniel Craig is like Agent Smith, and like and Neo yeah. is like the parkouring guy. It's just no, the for flip, sure. where it's so bare bones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. And so, and then we get the great scene where like Smith, it's so cool because Smith is like evil now. He's having ideas. Like, he sees the train coming. Goes, you know what? I'm gonna make you get hit by this train. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the sound of inevitability. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we get, uh, so, you know, dead naming him, calling him Mr. Anderson and Neo, my name is Neo, leaps out. Mr. Yeah. Agent Anderson. Agent gets hit. I love it. 
It's so cool. It's so cool how that is such an iconic hero defining life affirming moment. And it matters still, but then it is immediately taken away when he just gets off the train again. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, yeah, because he's an unstoppable killing machine. I mean, right. that's yeah. the thing. closest feeling I've ever had, I think, watching a movie with a, with a villain like that is like the T1000. It's a bit like when they, yeah, you know, they blow sure. him up um, when he's in the. He's in the truck, you know, it comes down into the, it goes over the bridge. I can't remember what the, what do you call those mm-hmm. things? Like a storm drain kind of thing. And they blow him up yeah. and it's like, oh, he's dead. Two seconds later, he just walks out of the fire. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh crap. Oh right. no, no. Don't even have a build. There's no need for a build. <laughs> yeah. It, it makes him being this unstoppable killing machine like a T-1000. Um, it makes the moment when Neo becomes the one full on and you just see the desperation in Agent Smith's eyes that much more satisfying because you're like, oh, shit. (laughs) Right, yeah. This unstoppable killing machine is, like, getting stopped and he is like, I don't know what to do with this information. (laughs) And the final fight is so satisfying because we've worked up Agent Smith so much and just to see when, when Neo, like, just starts blocking him with one hand, it's so like joyous. So does oh, yeah. does this mean yeah, though? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to step on your uh, your sequel talk too much. Does this mean then <laughs> that like Smith and all the agents know that the story of the one is true? Are they are they a hundred percent like? Oh yeah, there's a one. Yeah, yeah. They're they're in on the they're in on the because I know the, obviously the, the architect the and obviously the oracle, but it's like right. I never really was sure if Smith knew a hundred percent. Oh, that's true. Yeah, but he's he's part mm. of the cycle, though. Like he's he's part of that programming cycle. Um, he, so yeah, he knows that the one is real, but he is not aware of like the metatextual mm. aspect it, of. He doesn't know the that multiple he, ones. He, yeah. he he doesn't know that he's in a con with an yeah, con. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, right. Because yeah, his right. fear. It, it, you and can yeah. see on his face. He's like he he understands what's coming almost. <laughs> he's like, oh crap! I've seen <laughs> yeah. this before. Yeah. 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 Again, yeah. Can't get wait. Can't wait to get into it. And, uh, the the whole bit with the EMP stuff happens, and it's just like a masterclass in like editing and tension. And but uh, you know, just in time, Neo, uh, Trinity proclaims her love to Neo. You can't and, be dead because oh, I'm in love with you. Yeah. No. Get which up. could be a really yeah. cheesy, terrible line, like a Star Wars prequel line. <laughs> it's all. It's almost akin to some of the I, love dialogue, but it works. Mm-hmm. I thought that too. It's a credit to Carrie Ann Moss that she performs it so undersold yeah. the way that she does she isn't like weepy eyed or like desperate it's just, it's like so, matter yeah. of factly where yeah. it's like logically <laughs> if i am in love with you that means you must be the one yeah so because that's what the oracle said so get the fuck up <laughs> you yeah. idiot well yeah because because <laughs> like balls. a lot of other actors would be like you know oh you can't be dead you know crying and it's like no come back <laughs> yeah. to me it's like no don't need to don't need to do that yeah and I think all of decisions like that are just little blocks, bricks that lead us to why Matrix Resurrections mm. works is yeah. you're right, Scott, like this movie could have done a lot more to set up the relationship between Neo and Trinity. But the reason it works is because you just both of these characters and both these actors just have this chemistry that work really well. Mm-hmm. And you just love them together, even though the movie itself maybe doesn't give you enough or give them enough mm-hmm. um, like they do in part four we finally get right. those scenes that you want yeah right 
And then we get uh, one of my favorite endings of all time. Um, <sighs> the Neo talking to an unseen eye or unseen force the you know the architect or the matrix itself or the machine consciousness and it's saying hey i just want to let you know these are going to be the new parameters like i'm going to wake everyone up i'm going to show them a world without you and you're gonna to have to decide with what to do after that mm-hmm. fuck off <laughs> and, then, and then flies away yeah to rage against the machines wake up is there any cooler way to fly off that is such yeah. a cool shot as well. And I never once suspected, though, oh, yeah, we're going to get sequels where you can just fly and stuff. I just thought, oh, that is the coolest ending. And then I, I could imagine the future from there. You know, it was, it was kind of more fun in my mind in a way, as yeah, much as I like the sequels. <laughs> kind of a lot like Star yeah, Wars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A New Hope or Terminator, as we mm-hmm. referenced earlier. You, you know, can you imagine. The first Terminator, and you're just like, yeah, who needs a sequel? This was amazing, right? And then you get a sequel, and you know, uh, but it's <laughs> it's it's uh, it, it's kind of I I really love first films like that. Back to the Future is exactly. the same way. Where yeah. It's like, you know, there's a call to adventure at the end, but it's not. I mean, literally. In this scenario, Neo is the DeLorean <laughs> flying toward the camera. <laughs> Whoa. Where we're going, we don't need roads. Wake I mean, that's up. basically what he tells the machines. <laughs> oh, my God. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, and I want to go back and put Rage Against the Machine over Back Please the Please, somebody do it. Hell, yeah. <laughs> uh, put, put Dragula over the school dance. <laughs> I know that's basically what all film students do when they're studying. It's like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put weird music in an old movie. I don't care. Somebody do it, please. Put it on YouTube. <laughs> do it. Oh God, yeah. And that's the Matrix. Uh, we uh, we did our favorite perfect thing. Film. Yeah, perfect film. Uh, I love it when our conversations are longer than the movie. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the sign of a good movie. It, um, that we could have this exact conversation again tomorrow, and it would be just as long, and we would bring up different points. Yeah. 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 Uh, John, thank you so much for being on the show. Do you have any other closing thoughts on, on The Matrix as a series, as a concept? I just, just I want to say how much I love it and how much I connected with it and still connect to it uh, to this day. It's a, a formative thing in my life, it, both as a movie uh, viewer and just in, in general. Um, it, it, it's influenced me in so many ways the music i liked the the fashions i liked at the time films i like uh, since you know i've gone back and seen other movies that i might not have watched before um this movie is so important to me so i'm very happy you invited me on and um yeah i never originally saw it because i'm a i'm non non-binary person i never saw this originally as part of my gender journey but over the years it's like oh okay no that makes sense now probably like a lot of people have done <laughs> you know so it's important to me now on another level that wasn't there before so it just keeps growing and growing and growing and i i i love the new one i don't care what idiots say <laughs> yeah isn't it isn't it so funny how you know the matrix works so well on just a surface level of just like oh yeah the guy realizes the real world is a simulation and that there's another real world and like it's an action movie and there's kung fu but there's hacking it's just <laughs> it's all over the place right but it, but it works completely yeah. on that level 
And then as you grow older and the Wachowskis went on their gender journey um, and came out as transgender women and you realize the other level that the movie was obviously working on the whole time and works just as perfectly on that level. It's kind of insane how in, how great That's this what's movie so is. cool about it, I think. Yeah, working on multiple levels, whether you know it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Whether yeah. they knew yeah, well, it or Well, actually, not. I, I think knows? maybe they didn't. You know? I know they say, oh, yeah, it was kind of planned. I think maybe some of it is a little bit like subconscious. It, it's what you want to come out, but you're not acknowledging it yourself. You know, it's, it, it's spilling yeah. forth against your will almost. <laughs> you can't stop it. And that's uh... Oh, yeah. It's one of the most rewarding things that can come from making something mm-hmm. is the idea that there are parts of yourself that you're giving to this piece or the story that you're not even yeah. aware of. Of like, yeah. oh, I didn't even realize that. But that's crazy that that's valid. And that, that works for people. Um, yeah. Or that you could, in the future, look back on a thing you made 30 years ago when you were a different person and be like, oh, my God, I wasn't even aware. But I was trying to work out all these these aspects of being alive and being a person while making my Kung Fu Hacker movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A Kung Fu Hacker movie. That should not it work. It's incredible. It's upset that it does. How have they pulled it off? It, that sounds so <laughs> ill-advised. Oh, I'm going to make my Kung Fu post-apocalyptic <laughs> hacker and- movie. You're what? (laughs) As much as I like the sequels, I think that's where a lot of people have a problem with them is they don't work on the base level of, oh, this is a fun action movie. Like you kind of have to really like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm on board now with the whole concept of this. You have to really delve into the philosophy and think, which I find fascinating. But I think people who just want a fun action movie are like, oh, God damn it. What what the hell are they talking about now for 40 minutes? (laughs) Right. right, I think it's I think it's totally valid. So, so John, where can people uh, find you? What what podcast have you got? Going I on right now? am the co-host of the Bat Minute podcast, where we talk about the Batman movies one minute at a time. So you can you can find us anywhere you get your your pods in all good pod stores, <laughs> you know, um, or go to <laughs> thebatminute.com. Uh, and I also have a podcast about about the movie Hedvig and the Angry Inch called Hedvig Inch by Angry Inch, uh, which is, again, you can find that anywhere you get your podcasts or go to hedvig.lgbt. I'm plugging that one at the moment oh. because the people who own the .lgbt thing helped promote my show uh, yesterday as of recording, which was very nice of them. They, never, they didn't even approach me. They just promoted it. <laughs> it's like, oh, thanks. Wow. Um, That's cool. So you can find me <laughs> on, on those. And they're the only podcasts I have at the moment, but... I mean, I'm in a band. If you want to see me dance, yeah. Pete Bentham and the Dinner Ladies. <laughs> I'm a dancer for a punk band. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and you should plug your Instagram with your like amazing drag. Oh, well, well, I'm not very good. I'm not very good. Oh, you <laughs> are very good. You can <laughs> find me on. What is my Instagram? Hang on. <laughs> I, I changed it. It's like it's like MX Cantina Turner. I think. I'm trying to think if I put the mix in there. Let me see. Because I did on one, and then I didn't on the other. Did. Oh, no, it's Cantina Yeah, see, Turner. that's the thing. I think the Twitter might be the mix. Let me double check. Yeah, okay. it's Cantina Turner, because that's my name in the band. I'm Cantina Turner, because it's, um, it's all food-themed. Uh, so, yeah, it's Cantina Turner. It's my Instagram. <laughs> Feel free to add me. I don't care. I'll, it's, not, it's not private. You can add me. We can chat. Uh, I don't think my looks are very yeah. good. My main profile picture at the moment, I didn't good. do it. So I can't take... Uh, the credit for that one that is my good friend jason hello jason probably not listening 
<laughs> he did. Uh, he did the makeup for me. Well, they look they look great. Um, there was a look. There was a look a few months ago that you did that like oh. blew me away, and now I don't remember what it was. But uh, now I need to know. Um, oh yeah, it was the one with the with the crazy. It was the goth like crazy. Red oh hair my big backcomb wig. Yeah, I just backcombed the crap out of that. Oh wig. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that thing ruled. Oh, that was you, so thank good. Thank you. Uh, I, I uh, managed to reuse that wig because I originally used it for a look where I had to glue a donut into it. Uh, oh. <laughs> so it was covered in glue. It was covered in glaze. <laughs> it was covered in pieces of donut. But I managed to fix it up and clean it and get it back in action. Plus, it's a crazy wig anyway, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah. No, it's great. So everybody, check that out. Check out John's podcast. And... Uh, and yeah, check us out on um, Patreon, duelinggenre.com slash support if you want to want to do that. And uh, check out our um, franchise potential episodes that air the same day as our Between episodes. I think we've got like five or six of them now. So if you haven't listened to any of those, uh, go listen to them. Check them got, out. Yeah, Beautiful Creatures just came out last week. So you should listen to that. That was a fun one. Um, yeah. So, uh, so check that out, duelinggenre.com slash support. And uh, we'll be back next week to talk about The Matrix Reloaded. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Come on!